podcast today we're discussing hotline miami i'm your host marcus and joining me today as always are the homies first off we have trevor hey what's going on next we have dante i know when that hotline bling (laughs) and last but not least we have greg what's up Uh, so as I said, uh, we're covering Hotline Miami. This is my second game of uh, February. First game was Papa Leo. Second game, Hotline Miami. Um, so I will be introducing Hotline Miami. So let's get to it. Um, Hotline Miami is a top-down shooter by Jonathan Soderstrom and Dennis Whedon. And together they're collectively known as Denaton Games. Um, it was published by Devolver and Devolver uh, Devolver Digital, and they have done a lot. <laughs> they published a lot of Serious Sam games. I think there was like a dozen at least. Um, and it was released on October twenty third, twenty twelve, on Windows, and eventually it came out on OS X, PS three, and Vita the next year, and then PS four the year after that, so twenty fourteen. Um, It is set in Miami in 1989 and primarily revolves around an unnamed silent protagonist who's dubbed as Jacket by the fans. Um, He receives messages on his answering machine instructing him to commit massacres against the local Russian mafia. And a lot of times they give him some type of coded message in order for him to uh, act out these instructions. Uh, The game blends top-down perspective with stealth, extreme violence, and surreal storytelling, along with a soundtrack and visuals that are inspired by the 1980s culture. Um, So a lot of references that I saw, it draws heavy influences from the 2011 film Drive, uh, with Ryan Gosling, I think, uh, as well as the 2006 documentary Cocaine Cowboys, and the comic book Kick-Ass with the mask and everything, the, the... the two guys, they said they they were inspired by some of the gameplay elements uh, from the comic book slash movie Kick-Ass. Um, after it was released, it received critical acclaim and praise regarding its narrative themes, music, and gameplay, and has since become like a cult video game. It's um, And Dineton has gone on to make uh, one other game. They made a sequel to this game uh, called Hotline Miami 2, Wrong Number. Uh, Hotline Miami 2, colon, Wrong Number. And that came out in 2015. So that's a, a little bit of background information about the game. And um, I guess before we get going, uh, I'm going to kick it around the table to see what everybody played on. Uh, so my, I myself, I played uh, on Mac OS, uh, but I played keyboard and mouse. I don't, I don't have a gamepad, so I was playing keyboard and mouse. Um, and I, actually... What did you play on, and have you played this game before? And I'll and I'll kick it to you, Dante. What about you? What did you play on, and have you played it before? Okay, um, I played it on keyboard and mouse on Steam, obviously. 
and I've also played this before. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, Greg? Um, so I played it on Steam this time around, and I used Controller. And the first time I played it, it was on PlayStation 3. Um, so that's the main reason I ended up using Controller this time around. I just felt more comfortable, I guess, with how I was uh, used to it before. Okay, okay. Uh, and what about you, Trevor? First time playing it, uh, played it on Steam with mouse and keyboard. And I wish I would have known it was Mac compatible, because I had to fire up my PC just to play it. Oh, really? You didn't realize that? No, I didn't see the little icon. Rip, rip. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, I guess we'll get into the gameplay. Uh, as I said, this is a, it's a top-down game, um, but the game is divided into five parts, and each part has several chapters um, in, uh, in them. Uh, at the start of most chapters, uh, you, the player, um, Jacket, uh, you wake up in his apartment, he gets a phone call, uh, there's a very cryptic message uh, on his answer machine, and the message kind of tells him to perform some type of arbitrary task at a certain location, and each in each case, it's a coded message that he's getting, so it's saying like, hey, go pick up the dry cleaning at this address, or we need you to DJ at this thing, and it's it's basically telling him the location and the targets that he needs to take out. Um, so then, uh, once you listen to the message, you get, uh, you leave in your, they have like a DeLorean-esque, uh, car that he, the, the, um, jacket owns, and you head to the location, and then from there, you select an animal mask, and that you wear, and it usually provides some type of unique benefit, whether it be giving you a weapon to start, uh, being able to walk faster, being able to, uh, being harder to detect by the enemies, or, um, there's just, I mean, I think there was 26 masks and all, so there's a wide variety of things that they give you, that they, benefits that they give you. And, um, uh, just, uh, as far as playing each stage, uh, you're, you, the player, navigate a building, and your goal is to try to kill every enemy on every floor, and you have to be able, you have to kill everybody on that floor in order to proceed to the next level. And a lot of the enemy types, they're, I mean, you're fighting the Russian mob, so they're just mobsters in suits, and later on it includes they have guard dogs, and then they have, like, uh, sometimes you have to fight police officers, and there's a, uh, I don't know, like a, it's not too uh, much variety in the enemy types. Um, but they do care there is a variety in the weapons, so there's a wide variety of melee weapons, guns, and these can be found in the environment, or you can pick them up from the the bodies that you've, uh, massacred and, um, you're, you're very outnumbered. Um, so you have to rely on your increased awareness and you, you can kind of, it's top down view and you can kind of see into every room on that floor, uh, for the most part. Um, so you can kind of see who the, the enemy's route, whatever route they're taking when they're patrolling. So you kind of can plan things out on the fly. And, um, so, uh, since you're outnumbered, you have to either rely on you have to rely on being stealthy almost to an extent, or being just super overwhelming with like your aggressiveness as far as like uh, guns and everything, and uh, to kind of clear out rooms. And uh, having said that, it is like a one hit, <laughs> one one shot or one swing of a bat, and you are down just like the enemy. So um, it's pretty 
hectic. It can get pretty crazy at times where you're like, you know, just took out six or seven dudes and then the eighth dude just swings his bat and then you're dead and then you have to start over. But the cool thing is, is that it's uh, kind of like a super meat boy. It's a quick, uh, quick spawn. It just starts you back at the beginning of that floor that you're on. So you can kind of quickly on the fly um, fine tune your approach of the floor um, over a lot of uh, trial and error runs. So you can kind of like play around and try different attempts throughout um, your run of the floor. And um, the level ends with you either killing the end boss or getting some type of key item. And then you get a grade based off of your effectiveness and, and the game kind of factors your speed, the variation or style and how you killed people and then how reckless you were. Um, and then these scores that you get kind of help you unlock new weapons and new animal mass. So it kind of adds more to the overall like replayability of the game. But, um, since you haven't played this game before, Trevor, I want to kick it to you. Like what, what were you expecting when you first hopped in and like, how did you feel about just the gameplay as a whole? Like what, was it fun? Was it, was it entertaining? Would you, <laughs> have you played a game like this before? And how, how does this stack up with those other types of games? Um, I mean, the closest type of game that I've played like this is probably Super Meat Boy. And I mean, as far as like, you know, having to complete the levels through trial and error, you know, I was really into trials, like trials HD, um, but never anything that, you know, required you to like do things on the fly like this. Cause like the enemies, it doesn't seem like they necessarily follow a, a set pattern or they do to a certain extent, but sometimes they can do random things, but I really don't know what I was expecting from this game because I looked at like some of the gameplay and it it didn't inform me that much of, you know, what I'd be doing besides just going around like, you know, I thought it was like a John Wick game or something. But uh, <laughs> but did you I feel mean like John Wick. <laughs> like towards the end I did. At the beginning, you know, just cuz like using the keyboard and mouse for this I don't know. It wouldn't have been my first choice, but I'm glad I did like kind of, you know, adapt to it. Um, cause it is kind of difficult to, to handle some, like to get the hang of, um, gotcha. but, but yeah, like starting off, I thought it was really fun. Um, the music got me into it too. So, Oh, we're going to talk about the music. <laughs> we're going to talk about the music. <laughs> like just jumping into it initially, you know, it it was fun right from the start. It wasn't one of those games where you know you have to play and get into the story before you catch a before you get into the stride of it. Uh, tell me if this was the same with you. So like I've played this game a couple. Like this is maybe my third time playing this game. Um, but I remember the very first time I played this game, you you get dropped into like a tutorial, and it's pretty quick. Like, I mean, it tells you like, okay, here's how you pick things up. Here's how you use it. Here's how you throw it. And here's how you lock on the enemies. And that was really it. Do you feel like this game was like a simple enough game to pick up and play, but there was kind of like a simple to play, but hard to master almost, or like the degree of difficulty that it kind of, um, escalates to mm -hmm. is, I think is, is comfortable. Because it starts you off simple, 
and then because it's like trial and error, you get a chance to learn things like on your own. So I think it didn't necessarily need a drawn out tutorial, but you know, this is a weapon, you know, this is a melee weapon. You can also throw it. Um, you know, this is a, a firearm. Um, you can throw those too. And then like, once you get into it, you can, you kind of figure out how to do combos and, and everything else. So I think a lot of that stuff is, is second nature, like as far as learning it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, let me kick it over to Greg. So Greg, did you, having replayed this, was there, like, I know you said you felt comfortable playing on a controller, but did you at, a, at any point try out the keyboard and mouse and you were just kind of like, ah, this isn't for me. Let me go back to controller. Yeah. So the, the, the main reason I ended up going back to uh controller, I felt kind of stiff as far as movement. Like, so just using WASD on a keyboard, I, I don't know. It was just the way that you moved. It just didn't feel as responsive as using an analog stick. Now, obviously, you know, using a mouse for aiming would be like a lot better, but I didn't feel like, so the only time there's ever really an issue using a pad is sometimes in scramble situations. Um, you don't have the best aim as far as it, but it's not terrible. And the way that I played the game typically was trying to avoid scrambles as much as possible and try and like rope enemies or like try and like, I guess, uh, you know, breadcrumb trail them to like wherever I want them to go rather than you know, trying to, when, when stuff started popping off, trying to deal with it like that. But, um, yeah, just for me, I guess I felt like controller was a lot easier to manage. Quick question. Is it like playing on a controller? Does it kind of feel like geometry wars then? So like you're using kind of sort of joysticks and whatever way you're looking, that's where whatever direction well, your right thumb is pointing. That's the direction your character's facing. Yeah. Basically like that. And then the, the way that, you can play it is you'll you can lock on enemies by either clicking the right thumbstick or I'm trying to remember I think it's right bump or not right bumper it's I forget which which one of the buttons is but you can use one either one of the triggers or bumpers to uh lock on enemies that way as well and left bumper I wanted to say was uh how you toss the weapon out or gotcha, toss whatever gotcha. your melee weapon was did it, does it feel weird? Like I guess it was dual joystick shooter is the the genre type, but I've never mm-hmm. played one where you have you're not using a gun. Does that feel weird when you're playing a game that's like almost primarily melee weapons or? Uh, not really. It was kind of because, like I said, the the way I would do it, it was kind of I would just you know you just use the right thumbstick to aim in the direction of you know whatever enemy that you need, and you know just kind of swing at him that way so it wasn't a huge deal i guess gotcha gotcha dante how was your was this your second playthrough of hotline miami it was and and how how did it go for you because uh i remember what me and you were playing at the same time and you initially i think you had just started you were kind of complaining a little bit about some of your qualms with the i was it the controls i believe or the, the game so I I have a couple minor squabbles with gameplay. Like for the most part, it's very very good, and more or less what I remember. I don't know if it was specific to playing with keyboard and mouse, but sometimes you have to be pointing in the direction you're going to swing. Which I mean, it sounds obvious, but when you're doing the WASD 
and you're also trying to do like the 360 rotation of like where you're aiming with the mouse it can kind of I won't say it's complicated but it can add a little bit of like <sighs> it's just something you're not thinking about all the time I, I definitely know what and you're talking will, about <laughs> it'll mess you up occasionally and also the timing window is so tight on swings that most of the deaths, like, they feel like your fault, but then occasionally you'll run into a death. Man, I really don't really think I mistimed that by a large enough extent that, you know, I should have missed or what. So those were my, like, qualms at the time, but it's something you adjust to, and I don't know if I got the swing down by the end or not. Like, it's it's hard to substantiate what I'm trying to say. I, I, get, I get you. Like So when I first played this game, um, I played keyboard and mouse that time too, but I had a trackball mouse. So I felt like I had a little bit of more control of like the direction my character was looking because I could just quickly scroll and like, you know, twist the ball over uh, to whatever side to make my character look the other that way. But now I'm playing with a tracking mouse, uh, the, the Razor mouse, and... I definitely some some sections I I went into a room thinking I was facing one way but I hadn't fully turned my character around so like I'm I run into a room backwards almost in a couple situations um and another thing that I was running into and uh this this might be Trevor might be able to say something about this too is I it wasn't like the AI in this game like it's kind of not wonky but it's like almost a little inconsistent in my opinion where sometimes you can walk into a room and like the dude immediately his attention is on you and like he could have his back to you or whatever and he immediately just runs at you and swings and so like sometimes you have to be super quick with the have super quick reactions in order to swing your melee weapon or whatever um in order to react to some of these situations and then there's other times where like you're damn near right up on the person and they don't know you're there. And it, I don't It's think inconsistent it, in a way that you you need to swing fast but you don't know when they're going to react and start Exactly. Yeah, you. yeah. And like one of the the cool things are is gunfire draws an enemy's attention. Um so obviously they, cuz they can hear it. So obviously that makes sense, but it's a lot of times like you walk into a room, you literally open up a door, take a step in, and then the dude is on the other side of the room with his back to you. He immediately turns and starts running at you and it's like, "Whoa, whoa. I, I mean like I didn't even move. Like like what's going on?" And I know <laughs> Trevor was uh stuck on a particular stage uh for a long ass time in this game and it was at a certain point looking like he was not going to be able to finish this game. And I was wondering if you had that issue at that point, Trevor, or what was some of your issues at that point that you uh, were having? Yeah, that was one of the issues as far as like being sighted by enemies and also their, their field of vision is unreal. It's inconsistent like, too, right? Yeah. Like I don't, I don't understand how sometimes they, it's like they have eyes in the back of their head. But then they can footsteps, man. They can hear your footsteps. <laughs> and then other times, it's like that level that you were talking about was on chapter ten. Um, there were instances where I would be rounding a corner, and they would shoot me from across the map. I wouldn't even be able to see them. And even if I had like the the mask that extended my vision, I still wouldn't be able to see them. And they can just shoot me from the other side of the map. 
You yeah. do know that with shift, you can um, extend how far you look, right? Yeah, that's what I was using. No, yeah, like, it was so just like, that uh, level in particular where, like, you couldn't see if you were in one corner, you wouldn't be able to see what was going on in the other corner of that map. So, like, what what Trevor is saying is, uh, so like, and what Dante was saying too is like, you could with the keyboard, anyways, you could hold shift, left shift, and you could kind of your character would move, but you could kind of shift the camera and like extend your field of vision, and you can kind of scroll across the map. And certain stages, like when you walk into a room or on a floor, you can see about 60% of that room just where your character is. Your character is always center uh, of the map. And so the, 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 the map scrolls with your character. So you have to shift in order to look beyond that range that you're at. Well, certain open floors and uh, in this game and some of the later ones, they're so big that you could be standing in one section of the map scroll to try to see and you still wouldn't be able to see the entire map so you could be potentially running into a situation where okay you take out three enemies but you get shot from off the screen because that enemy sees you but you don't see them and i I know that particular level that trevor was alluding to it was a it was a rough uh section because there was four floors on that in that building and i think uh like they they <laughs> i think that was the 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 chapter where they asked you to kind of put together all the things you've learned to that point to try to tackle that because i mean there were parts where you had to run like you didn't start off with a gun but somebody with a gun is shooting at you so you have to like dodge his bullets but then take out two dudes with one melee weapon that are you know so it, it just was uh, it, that section was rough, and then like later on, they introduced dogs and dudes that can shoot through glass that you can't see, and it, it, it's it gets rough. The, the later parts of this game get rough. Um, go ahead, Trevor. And that was another thing I mentioned when you asked me about like my, since it was my first time jumping into it. Um, that since that's uh, chapter ten that we were talking about that's where like the the game's difficulty kind of crescendos and so like i was saying all the things that they don't introduce in the tutorial that you should learn along the way that's where you're really tested right there so honestly just kind of like i'll go ahead dante oh well the only thing i was going to say about the ai i guess i don't know if i'm the only person that feels like this i kind of enjoyed how inconsistent the ai was just because I felt like it kind of adds to the frenetic pace of the game and it's just always an uneasy feeling. You can plan for stuff as much as you want, but when, you know, when shit pops off, it's just like anything could happen at that point. Right. So that's the thing that I enjoyed the most. And it's also kind of, I guess it's, it's what I like, but it's also frustrating because there's times where I will just die because I'm down to like the last three enemies. And I think, I know their pattern and I think I've scoped it out well enough, but I just didn't account for it. And then, or maybe I opened the door and I shot too quick when I did and I died and I have to go kill 20 enemies again. So it, it, I, I I appreciate it. It has its, uh, you know, it's annoying spots, but overall I think it, it really kind of helps this game. Like keep the kind of like that breakneck pace of like, you don't really know exactly what's going to happen when you try to go through it this way. I can respect that, definitely. What I was going to say, um, I actually felt like it was 
I don't want to say that it was more difficult in the first half, but balance-wise, as far as the difficulty goes, like I never really noticed a spike just because I think they ramp up on a really good pace. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like it spikes, but I just feel like they just throw more energy, uh, energy enemies at you, and it kind of, like, the situations that they put you in, they put you in a lot more situations where, oh, you have to run across by this room that has glass doors or glass windows so the enemies can see you and they have a shot at you before you have a shot at them. So uh, they, they run you into a lot of situations like that, and then the dogs, too, because... Uh, uh, when you're not holding a weapon in this game, you can kind of, you know, punch with your fist or whatever, and that can kind of knock enemies down. You can't do that to the dogs. You you have to have a weapon to take out the dogs. So uh, it kind of kind of forces you to change your playstyle a little bit. And even going back to what Greg was saying, I agree with him. I um, I like that you can run through. I think it adds to the replayability where you can run through like mission 11 or chapter 11 you can run through that a hundred times and you'll get a different outcome every time because you not necessarily every time you walk into that first room that enemy not may not react to you opening the door the same way and uh sometimes they they um may not even notice you you can just walk up behind them and kill them sometimes they'll run at you right away and then so like every single room is like that so like every time you go into a new room you, uh, even if you've gone into that room three or four times already like the enemy may not react to you the same way in this particular run so i did like that and i think it does add to the replayability because i i i, I mean i think there's like you can still do the same route a hundred times and kind of get the same results, but you kind of, there's still a little bit of like quick thinking and stuff that you have to do on the fly in order to have that good run. So I do like that about it. Like that was one of the, 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 like the most rewarding parts of the game is when you plan on something and then next thing you know, you shoot and then four people just start running at you. And then it's like, Oh, do I have enough ammo to just get all these dudes right now? And, try, you know, trying to, like, figure out, well, what can I do? Do I need to run back? Do I need to try and find another weapon? And just trying to, like, improv the situation. Yeah, it's it's the, the best way to improv. It's like you literally go into a room, shoot a guy. Then you, like, essentially aggro six dudes. And you kind of have to kite them across this floor, like, backing up into rooms, throwing guns, closing the door. Like, it, it's it's so fun to play this game and just, like have that experience where you're like, okay, things are going like, this is the plan I have. And immediately you kill the first guy and then the plan goes to crap. And then you're like, oh crap, what can I do? What can I do? And then you constantly have to do that. Even like if you were to die, like you still get that rush, this, you know, the second playthrough, you know, the second run, the third run, the fourth run. So it, there's always like something that's going to go slightly wrong in your, in your run. And you have to be like, okay, I got to think on the fly. So. Um, and I don't sure know if anybody, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I thought Trevor had something, but you go ahead. Oh, I don't know if anybody else had the same deal as me where like, as soon as you start getting, you start racking up deaths like three or four at a time, eventually you just kind of get in like effort mode and you just start trying to run through it as fast as possible, just out of like frustration. Oh, you're definitely talking about Trevor right here. (laughs) Go ahead, Trevor. Man, I only did that on a couple of levels. (laughs) <laughs> but how long did you do it for? Like 30, 40 minutes? Like, like honestly, there were times where um, 
like I just I died so that I can learn how the enemies re- reacted because every now and then the door could be wide open and you could shoot a um you could shoot a weapon and sometimes the enemies in the next room would hear you like with the door open sometimes they would hear you with the door closed sometimes they wouldn't hear you at all with the door closed and so it was like like i said trial and error sometimes to just to see how enemies would react to certain things but it made it fun though right and like you, you did you didn't feel like even though it was inconsistent because i think we're all saying that it didn't feel like cheap to you at all or did you did you feel like it was fair and it was always like you understood why you died even if you were like i don't like that i died that way but you understood i i thought it was a, a fair challenge because it made it so that it's one of those games where or so it's not one of those games where you can kind of complete a level on a technicality like oh he didn't see me so i can go on ahead and just walk through the door and go to the next level whereas this game um you they it, force it, you to kill everybody yeah it keeps you on your toes i gotcha i gotcha um and i guess since we're we're talking about you know the, the game and the gameplay i think we probably should circle back a little bit and talk about the con the combat and just the or Namely, the weapons and the masks. So, um, as I said earlier, there's a huge variety of weapons. Um, I don't even have a number count, but I think there's easily, like, at least 30 uh, melee melee and throw uh, throwing weapons. And then there's, a, like, a dozen guns or so. Um, so there's a wide variety of tools of destruction in this game. And um, did, did you guys have any ones that... And in addition to that, too, like, things are, as you're playing on and getting grades and stuff, you're unlocking weapons as well. And one of the other cool things about this game is, excuse me, one of the other cool things is when you restart a run, like, say you die and you restart, everything is kind of randomized. So, like... And it, it, like you walk into this first room and then there may be like a weapon laying on the ground. That weapon will always be there, but it is kind of random what it will be. Like normally if it's a melee weapon or a throwing weapon, it's going to be one of those, but it may not always be uh, that same weapon. So it might, your first run might be a bat. Second run, it might be a crowbar. Third run, it might be a pool stick. Fourth run, it might be a ninja star. Like it, it's, the game is constantly giving you new tools to mess around with. And I did like that because I know a lot of the games that we've been playing, once we get the weapons that we like and that we feel comfortable using, we kind of stick the, stick with those weapons throughout our entire uh, time with the game. But I feel like one of the cool things in this game, not that there is a huge variance in the melee weapons or the throwing weapons, like all the melee weapons for the most part feel the same. All the throwing weapons feel the same, but I do like that. It kind of forces you to be able to just use whatever in your environment. It kind of forces you to like adapt to the situation. The guns on the other hand are a little bit different because the guns definitely have different, I mean, they're different ammo counts and they have different uh, ways. You know, they have a silenced Uzi, they have a regular Uzi, they have a silenced pistol, a Magnum, a, like an automatic shotgun, a hunting shotgun, like or like a sawn-off shotgun, um, uh, like a 
uh, assault rifle. So they, they have a wide variety of guns, and they each kind of feel um, different in their own unique way, where it's like, okay, I got two shots with this, so like if I aggro like four or five people... I only, you know, I only can maybe take out four at most, and I kind of have to like quickly look for something else. So, uh, how how did you guys feel about the weapons in this game? And did you have any favorite weapons or things that you preferred over something else, or things that you didn't like? And I'm, I'll kick it to you first, Greg. Um, as far as melee weapons, uh, they all generally seem about the same. Um, the only melee weapon that I think I really I think he's having. You some... know, all right. So hold, hold on. Y'all go ahead. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll I hear the screaming kid in the background. So <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, and be a dad for a little bit. We'll talk all about right. murder without you. All right. Uh, go ahead, Trevor. Yeah, that sounded like a melee weapon right there. <laughs> um, I liked the the knives and katanas. Like they just felt really good. Um the the randomness to it was a pretty cool feature like like you said it just it's it's another thing that adds replayability to it because you know you never know what kind of weapon you're going to get in order to take on each challenge um i don't think i unlocked that many weapons though i don't know if it was just my score but um, I it seemed like I was unlocking masks faster than I was unlocking weapons. And I would try to use different weapons whenever I would find them. But for me, there weren't like that many weapons to choose from. So I always mm-hmm. went with like a either a knife or the katana or a machete. Um, and then when it came to like the guns, I would always go for that six round shotgun. Man, yeah. <laughs> like it seemed like they gave you those a lot more like towards the end of the game. Yeah, I, yeah, I think they. Probably I guess did. I guess they're probably like the the technical or um, tactical shotgun. So the type of enemy drops them. So I guess that's why. Yeah. Uh, Greg, you back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All, All right. right. So weapons. Um. Yeah, I guess what I was saying about the melee. Uh, melee weapons typically i think the only thing i stuck to was there's a mask that gives you a you start out with the knife so i ended up using that um the knife for a good chunk of the game um outside of that i didn't really have a preference except for at the end of the game you get a you get the throwing knife which is like the best uh like probably the best uh melee weapon for me um but uh outside of that as far as uh weapons i think um I think I ended up using the shotgun a lot. Um, the six was it the one with six shots and uh, assault rifle. <laughs> I hear that screaming kid in the background. <laughs> uh, Dante, uh, what about so, you, weapon wise? Weapon wise, like you said, there's not that much variance. It's they might as well be skins for the most part, as, as far as melee goes. I did like the butcher knife that you get towards the end. That was pretty good. Aside from that, I mostly used, yeah, the um, six-shot shotgun, and those pretty much got me out of all the... Yeah, so I... (laughs) 
I I, I kind of agree with Trevor. The the melee weapons were cool, but like one of the one of the things that I I liked about this game or I appreciate is they have like I guess cinematic finishers or whatever. So you you have a little bit of uh, you can down an enemy or whatever, and then you can kind of you like depending on the weapon you have, you can like you know slam their head into the ground to kill them or curve stomp them or use your weapon and some of the blades and stuff were so cool because it were uh brutal slash useful because you could quickly like just cut somebody and not you know just keep it moving they're 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 down they're dead where some of the other weapons like you would knock them down but then they would still be crawling or um not necessarily not down, but not out or whatever. So I, I liked uh, the katana, like he said. I like the butcher knife, like Dante said. Um, I like the the regular knife, like that mask that the the, the the one of the masks starts off with a knife, and I like using that as well. Um, and like as everybody else said, the tactical shotgun, the six shot shotgun was <clears throat> amazing. It it was really good. Um, and then I guess I was the only one I used melee weapons a lot because they were st- I guess the stealth way the stealth weapons because they wouldn't draw enemies the same way a gun would so I used them a lot and one of my favorite things to do was to throw a weapon at somebody so a lot of times I'd enter a room and when you enter a room you like kind of slam the door open or whatever so you could like slam a door open and hit somebody and kind of knock them down to stun them or whatever. So like rooms that had multiple enemies in it, a lot of times what I would do is I would try to make sure that I slam the door open on one of the enemies. And then if the other enemies on the other side of the room, I immediately try to throw my weapon at them to knock them down. And then I would, I, I, I uh, got a lot of cinematic kills. I guess you could say I, I downed my enemies a lot and killed them that way versus using like swinging at them to kill them. And, uh, so my play style, I, I used a lot of just like throwing whatever weapon I had to knock somebody down. Uh, but funny enough, I don't really like the, we- the weapons that are the throwing weapons. Like they have bricks, they have bottles, they have the ninja star, they have throwing knives. Cause a lot of time, besides the throwing knives, they didn't feel like they were lethal. Like, so they were mostly there to stun people, which is kind of interesting because that's how I play but I kind of swayed away from those because I didn't like them as much because they weren't as, like, dual purpose. Like, if somebody was up close to me, I would, like, I could swing my bat, but if they were far away, I could throw it versus if I have a throwing weapon, it seems like, oh, like, if they're up close to me, like, it's not as effective. So, uh, yeah. And uh, I so guess I'm a little still... bit lost, actually. Um, Go, ahead. Go ahead. These throwing weapons... Could you also use them as melee? Like, I don't remember no, any no, aside from couldn't. the knife that you get with the second character. So, the throwing weapons that... And I don't know if they're all... I think they might be unlockables besides the brick. But they're... Um, you pick them up and your character kind of holds them kind of like a football almost. Like in that... Uh, he has it held like up. Like arm cocked back. Yeah, basically. And the, there's, there's no melee... Uh, attack with them it's strictly throwing so like i said some of the weapons that were was a brick there was a bottle there was the ninja star and um i think later and i think all these are unlockables besides the brick but uh there was also a dart <laughs> you could throw like a metal tip dart as well but like i said a lot of those weapons weren't as lethal and like they're super finicky to use because 
like me and you kind of had to seem like we had a similar issue where we weren't super precise on our throwing. And so they, those required a little bit more, pre- not precise in our throwing and our movement. So those required a little bit more precision than I felt like the other weapons did. So like there was one sequence where there's a guy in a bathroom, like you, you get on the second floor and there's a weapon right outside the room. Um, so you pick it up and it just so happened that it was a dart for me. So he's, in the, in the, he's in the bathroom peeing, he's right by the door, so it's like, damn, I gotta, I don't have to use this dart, but I want to, so like I, <laughs> and I kept getting a throwing weapon respawn every time I failed the run, every time I would start over, I always had a throwing weapon, so I was like practicing using my throwing weapon on that dude at the beginning, and uh, I, I don't know, I just don't like them compared to everything else. What's up? So, are they limited number, or do you have unlimited bricks or whatever? Le- they're limited numbers. So, like, kind of like when you walk into a room and you can see a bat, or when you kill somebody and there there's one of whatever type of thing. So, it's not the same as later on in the game what you're talking about. So, you, you, you pick it up and you only have one. Uh, and a lot of times, too, well, not a lot of times, with certain weapons, when you kill somebody with a throwing knife, uh, that's, it's done. Like, you can't pick it up anymore where like some of the other weapons when you throw them uh like the melee weapons and stuff even the gun you can hold a gun that has no ammo and you can just throw it you can hold a bat and you can just throw it um but these throwing weapons as soon as you kill somebody with them they are gone at least the the two that i'm thinking of the dart and the throwing knife i didn't use a brick in this playthrough but i'm pretty sure those are the same as well um and if that's all we got for unlockable weapons, let's talk about the mass because I think this is the, uh, I think this is the most underrated part of this game because I, I feel like this is super huge in adding uh, the replayability in this game because, uh, like I said, there's 26 uh, animal masks that you get and each of them has their own unique ability or benefit that you get for using it and some of them are super arbitrary some of them are super useful so uh, i'm not going to go over all the mess um because i'm i think i was the only one I, I i made it my mission and this is like my third playthrough of this game so i made it my mission to try to unlock all the masks because some of them you have to unlock a very specific way some you get for uh, just beating a level, and some you have to do like, oh, you have to find this mask, or you have to complete this specific task, or whatever. So th- there's melee, um, there's there's weapons that make melee uh, weapons, or thrown weapons, excuse me, they make them lethal. So as soon as you throw a weapon and it hits somebody, they die. There's uh, a mask that makes it so your fists are lethal, so you can walk around unarmed, and when you punch somebody, their heads explode. And I actually, I think that, I think the developer said that was the unintentionally strongest mask in the game or something like that. Uh, There's a mask that increases your movement speed. There's a mask that lets it, so you can take more bullet damage. So um, I think it's like you can take one extra bullet or you can take two extra bullets. There's a mask that makes your uh, vision further so you can look further across uh, a floor there's a mask that um, there, there's a mask that reverses your controls, which is crazy. <laughs> I used that mask once. I was like, why would anybody use this? There's a mask that makes the screen kind of go to like a 
almost like a sepia tone. It, it kind of tint, it, it puts you in like a, a spotlight. It kind of darkens everything else out, and that spotlight is kind of uh, has like a super heavy red filter put over it, and so it's it, it makes it more difficult to see enemies and things. So it's also one of those ones that makes gameplay more difficult. There's one that translates all the uh, the um, uh, dialogue in the game to French. Um, there's one that makes doors lethal, so if you hit somebody with a door, they automatically die. There's one that starts you with a silence Uzi. There's one that starts you with a knife. There's one that starts you with the drill. So there's just tons of different stuff in this game. Um, since you're the new person, Trevor, you haven't played this game before, how do you feel about the mask, and were there any that they kind of stood out to you? Um, to me, this is almost like the Vigors. Like, this is like the, the equivalent of that, where it's like, these are like my go-to masks. I like having these abilities over everything else. So I'm going to kind of stick with these. I stuck with Reverend Bishop Magic Don Juan mask. Oh, the horse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, those lethal doors were clutch, like on every level. Because I don't know what it was, but there was just something about the door physics. Like, I hated it, but sometimes it worked to your advantage. And so, like, whenever there were two enemies patrolling a room, you could open the door and knock the first enemy out. And if you had the Lethal Doors mask on, it would kill that first enemy. And then the enemy that was patrolling behind them, they would actually close the door back. And you could just push it open again and hit them a second time. (laughs) Game in the system. And, And I was just reading about that mask, too. Apparently... It um, increases your score if you do a, um, like if somebody is is down, but they're not dead, and they're against a wall, if you do an execution on them, it actually increases your score for doing a, a wall execution. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I just now read that, so there's no telling what some of the other masks do. Like there were, Extra. Yeah, there were some, like the, the one that lets you take one bullet. I didn't even try that one, because the times that I died... I was taking a lot more than just one bullet. <laughs> I don't know if that would have helped me at all, but I kind of stuck to that one. Um, certain levels, I would get the mask that lets you start off with the um, the knife. Um, there was the wolf one. Yeah, there was one part in the game. I think I used it after I got it up until level 10 or chapter 10 um, where it it doesn't make dogs attack you. Oh, yeah, the dog mask. Yeah, I used that one, but then, I don't know, I guess because, you know, I started getting better at the game, like, dogs just, they weren't as much of a challenge to me as they were, like, before I got that mask. So, I ended up ditching (laughs) that mask and didn't need it anymore. Your playthrough mimicked my first playthrough, because I think I had the same thought process. I used all those masks as well. It was like, oh, I get to start off with a weapon? That's cool. And it's like, oh, lethal doors? And I was like, yo, this is the mask. Then, like, I had an issue with the dogs, so then when I got that mask that dogs wouldn't, you know, be alerted by my presence, and I was like, yo, this is the one. And I kind of went between that, like, because not every level has dogs, so sometimes you're almost putting yourself at a disadvantage or by not choosing a mask that you can actually use. So I think overall, my first playthrough, I, I kind of stuck with the horse mask, the lethal doors, because that was the one that was like universally like good no matter what level. Yeah, and then there were other instances where the mask would be perfect for like that first floor that you were on. But then if you go to another floor, 
you would be like, dang, I wish I would have picked this other mask to let me walk faster. Because <laughs> I could definitely use that right now. Yeah, yeah. Dante, what about you? How, how, did you, how do you feel about the mask in this game? I mean, once you get Don Juan, there's kind of not a huge one. I mean, there, there are other masks that certainly but the lethal door thing. Really? That's like the universal, like that's ours, the the uh, Miss Checkpoint sponsored mask? <laughs> uh, I feel great. like that's that game sponsored mask. No, I don't think so, dude. I don't know. Uh, is, are you back, Greg? Are you still doing daddy stuff? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm going to break the trend here. I didn't use Don Juan at all. Thank you. So the ones I stuck with for the most part was you get Tony, I think, the first mission. And I use that for a chunk of the game because I kind of just like bum rushing people. So I would just run up on people. That's the one that gives you the unarmed uh, one hit kills. So I would just kind of run through some rooms, just like punching people and just like trying to go through as many rooms as I could like that until I found a, a weapon that I wanted to use. Then uh, I think you unlock Dennis a little bit later, which is the wolf. And that's the one that lets you start with a knife. So I use that for a chunk of the game later on. And then once you get Peter, the unicorn, I think you get him like towards the last few missions. That's the one that uh, is a noise reduction for guns, which is like pretty good because now you can kind of just dump on people and don't really have to worry about uh, getting spotted or not spotted. But out of, you know, kind of creating a noise uh, distraction, I guess. Yeah, I got you. So I I, I was going to say I use the horse my first you know playthrough like when I, before we did the show or whatever like when i first played this game but this playthrough i was like i want to use some of the other masks or whatever so i had the use the chameleon mask uh that one you get for beating the game um and it makes you harder to be detected so i was using that one a lot in the early goings of the game and then I kind of dabbled with some of the other masks to kind of see what they did. So I did use the unicorn one, like uh, Greg was talking about, about the reduced gunshots. But once I, you know, got in the flow of things and was playing, and I knew my play style, I um, I decided, hey, I want to I want to try to unlock all the masks. So I unlocked uh, the cobra mask, which it uh the snake and it kills enemies when you throw a weapon at them and that was like catered to my play style so anytime i threw a weapon at somebody and it hit them they died so i was like yeah that's the one and then um so i I ran with that mask and um that was basically the one i used the rest of the game but after i unlocked after i beat the game and i unlocked all the masks and everything there's an uh, achievement to mess around or to finish a level with every single mass. So I kind of use that as an opportunity to like just play some, some levels with some of the other mass. And afterwards, like, I think it was, there's, there's two masks that make you move fast. There's a rabbit mask that makes, um, you move fast. And then there's a, uh, a Panther one that makes you move even faster. And I use those masks. And it trivialized some of the sequences that I was having issues with in some of the other levels where it was like, oh, I could literally go run across this room and kill these three guys before they even react to me, you know, like, and I was like, that is so like, so like, I kind of like, was like, man, like, I wish I would have played this game with the Panther mask because that would have been super sick uh, to run through with that. Uh, Trevor, you got something you want to add? 
Yeah, I was looking at some of these masks just to see if they had any other added benefits to using them. And some of them actually um, are like Easter eggs for payday or in payday. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. I knew they payday had some DLC, Hotline Miami themed DLC. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the masks, I think the masks are super cool. They, they to me, add a lot of... Uh, variability in runs and everything too so like we all have our own unique play style and we kind of choose mass based off how we like to play so it, it it was um they're really cool and i wish there was a way an easier way for some of the mass to be uh i mean they're they're super easy to, to earn but I, I, I don't know. Like, I kind of wish they uh, <laughs> made it a little easier for people to, to collect them all. Because I, I feel like a lot of people won't have either played this game to, to mess with the or They won't have played you this have game to at least play the everything. game twice to get everything. Um, at least. I guess. Because, I... I mean, I, was, I pretty much unlocked a new mask for every level I completed. At least it seemed like it. Actually, and you're right. I was still missing um, mask by the end of the second playthrough. Yeah, you're right because there's there's definitely there's a mask for finit. Well, technically, you could get everything in a single playthrough, but there's a mask that you get for beating the game with the normal ending. Then there's a mask for beating the game with the secret ending. So if you knew the the secret ending from the jump, if you were the, one of those people that could find it in your first playthrough you could technically unlock all the masks in your first playthrough but you would also have to find the masks too because there are some masks that are specific way you have to find them too so um i guess the only thing i think we saved the bet well in my opinion we saved the best for last can we talk about this music though can we talk about this music so Hotline Miami, like, I think this is, I think this is why this game, in my opinion, like, the art style and the visuals aside, like, I think this was the reason why this game became such a cult status game, you know? Because it was, like, not only do you have, like, a cool visual aesthetic, but the music has to sell it. And I think the music in this game is amazing. And I will say... This is probably my favorite video game soundtrack in a video game. And the coolest thing about it is I believe it's all like licensed or like these are actual like the the soundtrack are actual musicians and uh, people that made music. Uh, So I think it's like a licensed soundtrack. I don't think it's I think some of maybe some of the music was made for this game, but I don't think it was like I think people like it's just a licensed soundtrack. Do you know if I'm right about that, Dante? Um, everybody has names next to them in the OST that I'm looking at. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, these are all like professional recording artists or whatever. So I don't think, I, as far as I know, I don't think anything was made for this game. But I, I'm probably am wrong about that because some of the titles are, I mean, there's a there's a title of a song and it's called Miami 2. So maybe. I'm thinking the music's but, original to the game. I just, um, I think who they got we're really good people. It, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and like, the coolest thing about it is, like, it's... When you first get into the game, when the game loads up, you like, you're at the title screen. Like, the music is amazing. 
You go into the tutorial mode. The music is like setting a mood. You go into the first story beat. The music sets a mood. You start the first, like, literally, like, you hear, like, four or five different tracks before you really play the game. And I feel like they do such a good job of creating that, that well, that feel of the 1980s in Miami or whatever. But then also just, like, getting you ready to, like... Uh, <laughs> Trevor, how, how did you feel when you first played, like, when you got into the game for the first time? Because I remember you just, like, sitting at the... Didn't you say you sat at the title screen? Yeah. Like, I put in the game because I didn't plan on playing it that night. Like, I just wanted to, to make sure it was working and everything. But I started it up, and as soon as I heard that music, I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and And then, like, just playing through the levels and hearing the music change... I immediately thought like this this soundtrack is going to be dope cuz there aren't a lot of video games where like there are some where I'll play them and be like man this soundtrack is really good but then there are very few games where I'm just like I need to get this OST in my iTunes right now and and that's pretty much where this game was like I could right. just I could just sit and listen to this this soundtrack and and then the coolest thing uh, for me, anyways, of like of all the games we played, the music is so paramount to this game. Like, unlike I, we 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 played so many games where like the music is good, but it doesn't really like you don't really hear it or anything. Where it's like you ha- like <laughs> it, it does so much to, for this game that the music does that like I, I don't feel like you could play this game on mute and get the same or like play with the music low and and get the same feeling. Uh, Greg, you were, you were about to say something? Uh, other than, like, well, obviously the music is, like, amazing this, but the thing that I, I like so much about it is just how much it fits the aesthetic of the game. And I still remember the first time when I played this game, like, I mean, I kind of dug, like, electronic music a little bit, but, like, this kind of put me onto, like, a whole new variation of that uh, just once I heard the soundtrack on this game. And I ended up just kind of digging deep that through the rabbit hole of like all this kind of like synth wave chill wave type stuff um but man like it it's a it's a soundtrack that definitely left like a lasting impression on me i feel like dante may have something to let us know about this music so everybody brace yourselves dante how did you feel about the music in this game how do you feel one about the music in this game? i was offended when you said i had terrible taste in music the other day that was an incorrect statement. That's factually incorrect. Two, the music in this game is amazing. Three, you have terrible taste in music. Oh, okay, okay. I'll, I'll take that, then I'll take that, because you like the music in this game. So, like, like one of the coolest things, and, like, it's super subtle, and, like, I don't think it really hit... It didn't hit me until I was reading somebody else's... Uh, summary of this game because i was like after i beat this game i was reading up on the story because i was like man the story i don't get the story and blah 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 hold up it's and... it's it's the um it's the second best soundtrack after phoenix right sorry that's next um next miss checkpoint okay okay uh we'll see then because if you if, if if that's how you feel then uh, you got me a little more excited about phoenix right because i really <laughs> Really like this soundtrack. But, um, yeah, what I was saying was the story in this game is kind of, it's hard to, it's hard to parse through. It's hard to 
figure out what's going on. But um, one of the coolest recounts I, I saw was is somebody was like, yeah, you basically, you're rampaging an entire, um, entire building. You're killing everybody in sight. And you have this super bombastic, like, music just pulsating in your ear. And the moment, the moment you kill everybody, the music just stops. And then it's like, it's almost like you got out of your trance and you're like, like you're waking up and you're like looking around and it's just dead bodies. And then you have to run through that building in silence. And like, you have to go back to your car and it's such like a surreal moment. And like the game has a lot of like surreal moments in it. And it's just like, when I saw, when I saw somebody read that or like type that out and I, I read it, I was like, I never thought about it like that, but that is like the perfect way to describe how this game is where it's like you're just in a trance the entire time you're playing and as soon as everybody's dead it's like it's stopped and now you're back to reality and it's like oh my god what have i done uh greg do, do you notice and i guess this is i feel like all the songs in this game are, are like sequenced this way but they all have a build-up to them where like you start out and it's kind of like you know kind of just you know building up a little bit and then, and I feel like it goes in cue with like how the how each uh, I guess chapter is kind of designed. So it's like at first it's a little low, then it builds up, then you've kind of got like a break point for a little bit, then it'll loop back into the same stuff. But like I feel like the way that the the drops come in or whatever goes like almost perfectly a lot of time with the action that's uh, happening in the uh, in the chapters. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. And then even the coolest, well, not even the coolest thing, but a cool thing too is. Like we're saying, you're you know doing multiple runs in order to beat a level. The music doesn't stop when you die, so the music keeps playing and keeps playing. So you're never like rehearing the you know the first fifteen seconds of a song. Like if you get stuck and you're dying on that first room, like you know ten eleven times in a row, like the music is keep it, it keeps going. So you're never like taken out of it either. It 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 fully puts you in that trance like state, and even like the ambient like uh, after you beat. After you beat a level, um, you know, you return back to your car, you get the, 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 the titles, or not the title screen, the, the, goring, the, the grading screen, and you get your grade, there's music that's played there, and it's like almost like a celebratory, like chill type of music, and then you immediately go into, like, quote unquote, the city or whatever, and you go to some store, and then that's where they play the, the, the sound, the, I don't even know how to describe it. it. It's almost like a song that is like that's just strolling around in town. Well. Say what? The screech that it does just this is very chill, and it's got this kind of like I don't know what instrument it is, but it just has this screech to it. But then it, it I'm saying when you're in that town, it goes to that song that that song that Trevor really likes with the the street noise and all that, and that just sounds like a bustling, like busy, like. It's just like it puts you in like being into a city atmosphere. Uh, is is that a good way to describe it, Trevor? Yeah, it's definitely, man. And I was just thinking about one of the things you said that I didn't even notice. Like even when you restart the game, it doesn't like restart the music or anything, or 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 stop or pause the music at all. It just like you know continuously plays and. Man, the soundtrack's just so good. <laughs> yeah, like I, I have nothing else to say. Like I, I even like I could listen to this soundtrack without playing the game, and but like 
I, I honestly, I feel like the, the, it does so much for the game, and I couldn't imagine playing this game without this soundtrack. Yeah. It's like the perfect marriage of the two. And it gives, like, certain areas, like, their own kind of themes, because every time you go into, like, one of the shops, um, like, it plays a certain music every time you're at your apartment, it plays a certain type of music, um, boss battles, different events, it's, it's like it's it's playing theme music throughout the game. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 awesome. Like even like the levels when you go, <laughs> the levels when you go to like clubs, they they play like clubby music, and then they're like it's all electronic music, but it all has its own unique feel. So nothing is not too samey because I think that's like uh, Greg might be able to attest to this because like I know a lot of people that don't like electronic music, they kind of say it all sounds the same after a while, and. Um, to me, at least, and I'm a fan of electronic music, to, but to me, nothing in this game sounds the same. And, and even, like, some of the songs, they, they kind of get, like, if you listen to the OST, like, oh, this is an eight-minute song, and it's kind of like the same kind of uh, instrumentation or, like, repetitiveness throughout the entire song. But then there's some songs that, like, it builds up for 50 seconds, then the next 45 seconds are this, then and, and it's like... It's so cool how they were able to use like different types of electronic music. It all sounds like it fits like this this aesthetic and this the, the, this visuals, but it also like it's just like it's good murder music. I don't <laughs> and uh, Greg, do you, do you have any complaints? I guess I think for the most part, the other three of us at least we're somewhat fans of electronic music. I think you were the only one that maybe didn't have any, uh, didn't really like it that much. But does it does it ever sound samey to you at all? Or, well, I, I listen to a little bit of electronic music and like I used to listen to drum and bass a little bit too. But no, like I, I like I dig everything about the soundtrack. Like I said, like it, I wasn't like again, I kind of wasn't really like too big on the like that type of uh, like synth wave stuff. And it really like piqued my interest and it ended up kind of like digging down the rabbit hole, looking up these artists, trying to find similar stuff to that. So yeah, like I, I mean, I love everything about the soundtrack. Speaking of music, I think we, we kind of had said last episode that we were going to try to track our deaths and the two people that had the least amount of deaths, we would um, let them choose the intro and outro songs for the show. And, um, I don't think we tracked our deaths because I think all of us had at least 150. I, I check. I track mine. Okay, so. uh, but uh, I think I think ultimately I think it was me and Dante with the least amount of deaths. But maybe we can work something out to like everybody gets to choose the song. <laughs> I don't know how we'll do that, but maybe that would be tight. Um, that's more we, work. I though. can just say something about Paris too, and we can just drop it right here. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Should we do that, Dante, or would you rather just two songs? Um, we we can make it work if we need to. All right, we well, have how to have a little bit of a production meeting about how to make it work, but we can do it. Maybe we can have like Trevor introduce one song right now, then Greg introduce one song, and then me and you will be the front and end intro and outro. Yeah, yeah. All right, we can figure it out. All right, so so Trevor, what, what's your what's your favorite song in this game? So then maybe we can do like a little thirty second snippet of it or something. All right, let's go, Dice Gay. 
We don't need to put in the pause. I can put in the pause. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do. All right. So uh, that was Trevor's favorite song, and I'm going to let Greg uh, bring in his favorite song. Uh, I'm going to say Paris 2 is probably my favorite. All right, so kick it to Paris 2. So, like we said, that's that's only like a snippet of some of the music in this game. So, uh, we each, I I think I'll do the intro, Dante will do the outro. So, I mean, there's going to be four different songs for you to listen to. Can we swap intro? Okay, sure, sure, sure. Just because my track that I was envisioning was working better as an intro. Oh, that's fine, that's fine, dude. Alright, so, cool. That's just a snippet of some of the songs in this game. Um... Dante got the intro, then we got Trevor's choice, then we got Greg's choice, and then I'm going to, I guess, be the outro song. So four completely awesome songs from this game, and it's just only this, like a margin of like how good the soundtrack is. So at the very least, if you don't play this game, listen to the OST, because it's amazing. Um, but I guess that's enough gameplay. I think we should delve into the story. And uh, this is a doozy. Um... This is a doozy, so here we go. There's uh, five parts to this game. So the game uh, opens up with the tutorial, and I think we, I mean, I kind of touched on it before. Um, Tutorial was pretty pretty good. I mean, like, there was, like, four different things it taught you, and that was really it. The game is fairly straightforward as far as what you need to be able to do, but um, as soon as you finish the tutorial, you appear in a mysterious apartment, and there are three masked figures, Um, and these masked figures are uh, a horse, he's wearing a a horse mask, there's a figure wearing uh, a rooster mask, and there's a figure wearing an owl mask, and they each kind of treat you differently, so like the, the... uh, horse is super sympathetic to you. The um, rooster is kind of in the middle, and then the owl is just super mad at you. Um, but they kind of just are super mysterious figures, and they seem to know more about you than they're letting on. But they just kind of um, 
they kind of just say that uh, they want they want you to remember the first time they met because they've met you before and you don't remember. And then they say, remember back to April 3rd. So then the game enters up or opens up and it's April 3rd and you wake up and you have a phone call. And it's basically telling you, uh, I don't remember exactly what it says, but it's um, basically giving you those coded instructions about the location and everything. Then you go outside your apartment and there's a, there's a package there and it has a note and a, a rooster mask. And then so you walk out to your car and um, <clears throat> your mission, uh, you, you go to the address and your mission is to kill all these Russian monsters, get a suitcase and drop it off in a dumpster. And so you complete that mission, then you get back in your car, go to the dumpster, you dump it off, and then you're in this, like, alleyway, and this hobo comes up, and he, like, you don't want to get spotted, so you end up having to kill him. And it's kind of interesting at this point, because you end up having to kill the hobo, and immediately after you kill him, uh, you throw up, because you're, like, so sickened by your actions, like, your character throws up. And it kind of shows how, like, green beyond the ears he is about this whole ordeal. Um, But obviously, as the game goes on, he becomes uh, more... The the game goes places as he continues on. So this is, like, the really only time where it kind of shows his his greenness, I guess you could say. Um, But then this first part... It really, uh, you, you hit up some other cool uh, locations. There's a mobster-occupied apartment. There's a drug operation. Uh, and then there's a mansion that's uh, owned by a movie producer. And uh, he has this <laughs> this woman. She's uh, laying on a, on a bed, and she's has a bunch of, like, uh, syringes and uh, stuff beside her, so she's very like addicted to drugs, and she's kind of locked up in his room. And uh, I think that I think that's chapter four, I think, and that's where you have that boss fight against the movie producer, who's this big, bulky uh, dude that takes like a lot of damage. Like you have to kill him with a gun, and I guess that's like the very first quote unquote boss battle of the game. Um, how did you feel about? this first section and specifically the boss battle and I'll, and I'll start with you Trevor so this one I guess because it was a different enemy type it's the first time you encounter a different enemy type um, it was one of the parts where I just had to keep on restarting for trial and error and this is the one where he like the enemy goes down with like the shotgun yeah you have to like <laughs> like you'll shoot him and he'll like kind of fall back and stand back up. Right. Um, it was a little weird because like up to that point, all the enemies that fall down, I'm thinking, you know, you basically just walk over to them and finish them off. And so every time I shot him and knocked him down, I would run over to him and, and try to finish him, And then he'd just get back up and kill me. Um, but then, you know, it was, it was also a chance for me to learn how to aim better. Because I realized before this level, I wasn't aiming at all. I was just kind of pointing my character in the right direction and then shooting. Um, but for this boss, like I think the weapon I was using, you only had two shots. So if you missed that second shot, he would basically get you because you can't throw your you can't throw your weapon at him or anything. He it just kind of either bounces off or goes through him. 
Um, and he's pretty quick too. Yeah, he's very quick and he's very powerful. Um, I don't even know if he's takes damage from melee weapons. Like one of the things I, I played through this game twice and just to, for story reasons. And, uh, <laughs> When I when the the second time I played, I went downstairs with a melee weapon, thinking there was going to be a, there was a bunch of guns downstairs. And when I went down, uh, they were all there. I picked them up, and he killed me. And then from then on, I kept respawning, and there was no guns for me to pick up. So I'm like, how am I supposed to kill this dude? Am I like going to be stuck in this situation and just restart? But I found out that you can melee him once, and there's always guaranteed to be a, a shotgun in his in his bedroom. So you pretty much have to kind of like stun him, then immediately run to his bedroom, pick up a shotgun. And I think it takes like three or four shotgun shots to, to kill him. And, um, yeah. Uh, wait, pause, then, pause, 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 pause. Go ahead. Go ahead. You can melee this guy or you, you like, can only, so you can get with one your hit bare on fist? Him. No, with a weapon, melee weapon. I was trying with the, man, I could have sworn I swung at this dude like 50 billion times. It only you can only stun him once, and then you have to. It's basically like you hit him once. Well, or maybe in this situation, maybe it was because I had to get to that gun, and there was no other way. So maybe it's something in the game because there was no other guns on the floor that I could pick up. The only one was in his bedroom. So and that's where he starts. So there's no way to get by him because he's so fast. So maybe it was like something that they built into the game. If they in this situation where there's no guns on the floor, how can we? If no chance then stun exactly exactly so maybe that was the situation because i definitely agree with you where when i was playing the first couple times um if there's guns on the floor and i try to use a melee weapon it doesn't work on him but in this situation i had nothing else to use so i tried it and it worked um do you do you have anything you want to add about the boss dante i'm sorry I didn't. oh my bad um yeah this is this is one of the instances that kind of stood out to me as far as like kind of where the game had a couple issues especially with the boss encounters where they don't it's very difficult because they don't really have the time to tell you what to do or make you quote unquote learn the boss but um I just wish there was some way they could have communicated what you needed to do better because there's a lot of guns you can hit them with but truth be told, the only gun you're really going to have any effective like damage to that guy um, or that does effective damage to that guy is a shotgun. So I've messed around with having the ARs for a while and I'd unload literally like two or three full clips from a couple guns around the map just trying to dodge them as best as I could. But um, yeah, eventually you have to pick up the shotgun pretty much. And I wish they just... I don't know really what they could have done to indicate that better, but it was frustrating nonetheless. I understand what you're saying because <laughs> I know like later on a later boss in particular that when, when you, some of your complaints, I'm like, I'm thinking about that boss. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's like on a successful run of that boss, it's 15 seconds. So they don't really have, you yeah. know, there's no onboarding they really could do. Yeah, it's it's almost kind of like what you almost your complaint with the last game we played, where it's like this puzzle like is so simple that I shouldn't need to use this hint box, 
And it's almost the same thing with the bosses in this game where it's like, if I do it correctly, it should only take 15 seconds. So there shouldn't be hints for it. It should just be kind of trial and error just so you learn. And I think that's what they opted to do. To, to the defense of this game, the other game you had time to think about it at least. This one, it's like do or die. You never really sure, you never sure. get a second to like really sit back and assess like, oh, well, you can say this isn't effective. But at the same time, it's like maybe I just need to shoot him more. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, uh, so that's the first part of this game. And, um, and I should point out too, between each chapter, like I said, there's four chapters in this first part between each chapter. After you finish, you go to a shop and this is where you hear that music that Trevor played and you see this bearded vendor and he doesn't have a name. So the fans have dubbed him beard. But um, he always gives you some something on the house, some free food or drinks or videotapes. And he kind of seems like he's in the know of what you're doing. He doesn't say, like, good job on that killing or whatever. But he just basically he's a sympathetic ear for you. He kind of shows, like, an interest in your well-being. And uh, he seems aware of what's going on, but he doesn't, like, out and about about it. And then another thing, uh, I think this is uh, – you will have to correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor – but the newspaper clippings, because I think that only you only get that in your first playthrough, because I did not see a single newspaper clipping at all through my playthrough. So do you get these newspaper clippings after each mission? Like, I know Greg mentioned it. It may have been before we started recording, but, like, he didn't see any clippings. I didn't see any either. So they may not have necessarily been, um, like, obvious that you could pick them up, because I just saw, like, the way his apartment was, like, at a certain point, his apartment is I, like really in shambles, and I, and I just thought it was trash. I no no no. What I what I mean is like I think it was something that you see um, after the 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 grades are either after you get your grade, it's like a still like a, a like a newspaper clipping there, or it's right after you um, see the dude at the shop. You get like a, a a screenshot, and it's like a newspaper clipping, and I believe it's supposed to like. The, the the local news reporting on the massacre that you just did and kind of saying it like local or, you know, mass man kills 14 at a movie director's house or something like that, you know? I don't remember seeing that at all. Okay. Because, like, I remember that the fir- my first playthrough and I, and I was reading about it after, and I was like, I don't remember this at all, but they only, I guess, show it in your first playthrough. So I, I don't think that me, Dante, or Greg would have got it. I thought maybe you would have. But if you don't remember seeing it, then maybe it's not as big of a deal as I thought it was. <clears throat> because, uh, so in part two, um, this is going to be the next five or so, four or five chapters. Uh, so the beginning of part two. Um, oh, and I, I don't know if I, I mentioned this too. So that girl, the drug-addled girl. Uh, at the movie director's place, you take her and you you rescue her. You put her in your car and you take her back to your apartment. And um, so she's at your apartment right now. And uh, so part two starts up and you're back in that mysterious apartment with those three mass figures. Uh, what's up, Dante? I just wanted to quickly make an interjection. Have we talked about like the delivery mechanism of your missions? And how they deliver, like, the news of missions to the player. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, we we can hit on it again right here real quick. But you you get a voice you get a voicemail on your phone, and you pick it up, and it's a super nonchalant coded message where they say like, "Hey, uh, we need you to DJ at the club, dressed to kill," and they give you the address over the message, and that's basically code for you need to go to this address and you need to kill the people there, or hey, like. Uh, there's a special delivery at this. Make sure you go in from the back. There's special delivery at this location, or that—that's how they give you the message. Yeah, my bad if I—I I just must have missed it. No, nah, it's all good, dude. It's all good. But that's—that's that's how you get a, a a mission every every time you start a chapter. You go to your phone, check the voicemail, and it gives you the address in some type of coded way. So it's actually kind of cool. Like the dialogue in this game is actually kind of not—I won't say funny, but it's quirky. Where it's like. <laughs> like it, it's not super uh, out in, out in a, in a uh, it's not out out there about like oh we need you to kill like you know all these Russian dudes or whatever but it, it's kind of quirky and just kind of tongue in cheek some of the some of the lines in this game. Um, so yeah, so you end chapter part one with the girl in your apartment, uh, and then part two starts off with you back in that apartment with those masks or those hooded figures or excuse me, mass figures. And the, the reason why I was bringing up the newspaper clippings is because the horse is kind of saying like, Oh, I see you've been collecting these newspaper clippings. I see you're trying to piece the story together. Um, though it may still be fuzzy. And then the owl, he still is like super hostile to you and doesn't want anything to do with you. And then the, uh, the rooster is still interested in you getting to, remember who he is so before he leaves he leaves you with four questions and they are do you like hurting other people who is leaving messages on your answering machine where are you right now and why are we having this conversation and um the game can uh this this part of the game conclude or continues on um you you hit you have two hits on Russian mafia-owned homes. There's a hotel that receives special guests that are protected by the mafia. There's an uh, apartment complex. And then the last call, as soon as you finish that apartment complex, you get a call, and it has you wanted to deal with a prank caller at the telephone company called Phone Hum. And um, there, your character confronts a mysterious uh, guy in a uh, with wearing a biker helmet, um, and he has killed everybody at the phone company, and you have to fight him. And he has a butcher knife, and it, this is a, another boss fight. Um, so uh, at this point, um, what do you think, Trevor? Like, is it how is the story going for you? Man, this. <laughs> I was I was honestly kind of lost, and I I really didn't think that much of the story. Um, like I know they were being really vague on the phone, but a part of me honestly believed. You know, at some point, you know, since Beard is kind of like the, the guy who runs all the shops, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I really am a DJ. Maybe I really am a, a cleaning service or whatever they're, they're telling yeah. me to go do. Like, maybe these are my actual jobs and I'm, in my mind, I'm just thinking I'm some kind of, of John Wick type killer. Um, 
Oh, go ahead. I was, I was just gonna say, uh, I, I guess I failed to mention this, but be, like every time you beat a level, you you meet up with Beard at a shop, but he's always working there. And it's always a different shop. So, like, you go to a grocery store, he's working there. You go to a gas station, he's working there. You go to a pizza place, he's working there. You go to a VHS rental place, he's working there. You go to a bar, he's working there. So, no matter where you go, he's working, and he gives you something free. So, it's like a super, like, There's always a lighthouse. There's always a lighthouse. There's always a girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Greg, you got something you want to add? Uh, I was just going to kind of, like, follow up what trevor was saying is like for the story overall for me like i i I don't know if i was in the you know in the minority with it but a lot of it just kind of went over my head and i don't know if it was because i was trying to take things at face value too much or like i had some theory i remember the first time when i was playing this game that i i just assumed that this guy was either he had some type of mental thing going on or this was like some drug-fueled thing and this he was just high the entire time but like a lot of what I found out from the video afterwards, I just did not pick up on the first time or even this time until I saw that. Yeah. This game goes places. So, um, you, you end up fighting biker at the, uh, the phone, the phone home office and you kill him and, uh, you kill him, you beat him to death with a golf club and his head explodes, which is kind of crazy because he's wearing his helmet, but his head explodes. Um, and that kind of concludes uh, that last fight is the uh, conclusion of uh, part two. And uh, one of the other things I, I didn't mention, but throughout this this part, every time you go back to your apartment, that girl is still there and she's at different points in your apartment. So at one point she's like recovering and she's in the bathtub. Another point, she's laying on the couch. Another point, she's laying in bed. And then, uh, so this girl basically becomes your girlfriend. Because that, <laughs> it's kind of funny, like in a Brady Bunch type of way. But uh, their bedroom has two beds. <laughs> so, like, there has his bed, uh, Jacket's bed, and it has girlfriend's bed. And uh, one of the other things, too, is because she's now living there, your apartment, your, your quality of life, it, it just it gets better because she's cleaning up. So like your apartment starts off as pretty dirty with like empty pizza boxes and like trash on the kitchen table and by the couch. And as you progress to this part of the story, every time you go back to your apartment, it's more and more clean and just tidy and put together. Uh, Trevor. I was just going to go back to the, the boss battle that you encountered. Oh yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, you're good. Um, I guess is another instance where they kind of force you to use a certain weapon because like when you, when you first walk in there, once you walk through the door, like whatever, actually, I don't think you have a weapon at that point. Like when you walk through, cause everybody, yeah, you don't, you don't, but, um, but yeah, I guess that's kind of the theme. Like they create this very specific challenge for you with the boss battles where you have to use a, a specific weapon and it's not as open-ended as some of the other levels. It's like they, they force you to to confront each enemy a, a very specific way. Yeah, yep. Because, yeah, you, you have, like, I think the boss fight, you have to dodge his, he has a butcher knife, and you have to dodge, dodge his melee attacks. There's two rounds of that. Then he throws a knife at you. Uh, his third his third wave and you have to dodge that and that's when you have your opening to be able to hit him and then you rinse you do that complete sequence again and then 
you kill him. So uh, that's the boss fight with Biker, and that concludes part two. Uh, so part three, um, again, next four chapters, uh, you appear back in the unknown apartment with the three um, mass figures. And like I said, the horse continuing to be sympathetic with you. He kind of asks about your your health and kind of advises you not to force yourself as uh, bearing too much weight will lead to a collapse of everything. And the owl is super pissed off that you're there again. And he basically threatens to leave if you come back. And then um, the rooster asks if you've thought about the questions he asked you. And then he says that he has no answers to give, but he mentions that the next time you will see him will be the last. And then he predicts three things about your future. So one is someone you know is not who you think he is. Two, something will soon be taken from you. And three, on July 21st, you will wake up in a bigger house. So then um, these missions have you hitting a disco nightclub, a uh, drug operation that essentially that eventually gets busted by like the SWAT SWAT team, and then you kind of have to go from killing people and being in murder mode to being in stealth mode and having to avoid these cops, uh, a spa and a office complex. Um, we'll go back a little bit. Um, how did you feel, Trevor? How did you feel about the uh, when the SWAT team came and like how they kind of mid mission switched from being because like when you're doing that mission, the music is going and as you, when you get to the second floor, you can kind of hear a police siren going off in the distance and in the background. And then I think once you kill, like you don't even kill everybody on the on the. Um, on the floor, you get to like the last two or three rooms, and then you just see the two the guys get on their knees with their hands behind their neck, and then you're like, "Oh crap!" You know the cops are here, and you kind of have to sneak out. How did how did you feel about that segment? So, you ever heard of this game called Trap Adventure? It's like a, that a it's never heard of it. It's a mobile game that's kind of like uh, Super Mario, and you think it's going to play out like Super Mario. Like, you jump, you run, but whenever you reach a certain point in the game, it throws a curveball at you, and when you get around that curveball, and you think you're about to complete it, complete that level, it throws another curveball at you, like the floor might fall out from underneath you, or the ceiling will fall on top of you or something, and that's pretty much what this game did. Like, I was finally getting a hang (laughs) of the gameplay. And all of a sudden, the SWAT team comes in, and they snipe me out through the window. And I'm just like, what's that? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I thought I was doing pretty good. Um, you thought. <laughs> I was, you know, I was kind of thinking, like, or assuming that that was going to happen, like, on other levels. But I guess that was the only time in this game where that actually occurs. Um. So I'm I'm glad because that would have been super frustrating. Um, But the only thing I will say about it was I don't even think you complete that entire level. Because like when the way I was playing was I didn't get any type of time bonuses throughout the game. So my grades were super low. Um, (laughs) But I guess I was taking so long on that level that the SWAT team would come in and all of a sudden, before I would kill all the enemies, it just said stage cleared. And so I was confused the first time it happened. But then after that, it was like, 
you know, should I even attempt to go around killing everybody? Is it worth the trouble? And so I would just kill just enough enemies to until the SWAT team came. And then I finally figured out how to maneuver through the SWAT team to get out of there. Yep, yep. Did you have any issues with it, Greg? Um, not, well, I guess since I had played it before, I kind of already knew what to expect there. But no, nah, not not particularly in that area. Do you like that sequence, though? Even where, because it kind of just abruptly, I, I think Trevor is right. This is the only time you have that, like, I have to go from being, like I said, murder mode to stealth mode. Uh, hold on. Does this section of the game include that that hospital section, or am I? No, that's that's it? later. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Up to this point, yeah, I, I think it was a nice change of pace to have to be able to navigate around like that and not be like, you know, the the murder machine. I guess. Gotcha. And what about you, Dante? Whoops, Is sorry he... about that. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, I remember having a big issue with it the first time I played through the game, but I didn't get hit by the SWAT team at all. And I was kind of surprised. You can just dodge all of them. Flexing! <laughs> I didn't have any problems with the top floor, but it was the bottom floor. Uh, um, I had a route that I went, and I did it, I think, my second time. I, my first playthrough, I did it uh, in two attempts. But then when I ran it back uh, again a different time, I don't know why. I did that same exact run, and I got caught, like, I got shot, like, nine or ten times. It's like, what the heck? I always go this way. Why is it working against me now? It was weird. Um, So, uh, one of the the interesting things about this this sequence, this part of the game, is, is that... When you go see Beard the first time, he's cool, but there is, like, this is right after the, the, the first mission after you kill Biker. Um, you go to the convenience store that he's in, and you see a decapitated Biker laying on the ground besides, uh, beside Beard uh, behind the counter. And, like, he basically says, like, everything you know, what does he say? Like, everything isn't real or something like that. And you're like, what's going on? And um, uh, then the screen turns to static real quick and then it focuses back in and the body has disappeared, but there's still that pool of blood there. And then it like, uh, Beard acts like nothing has actually happened. And um, so that's weird. And then throughout um, this part, um, after you, even when you're in your hotel, or not your hotel, in your apartment to get missions... Uh, things start to get more and more trippy for Biker because he starts having weird visions of, like, dead mobsters. And, um, I'm sorry, things get weirder for Jack uh, as he starts seeing weird visions of dead mobsters and dogs and all these characters that he's killed. And he starts seeing them in his, quote-unquote, everyday life. And I think it's the second mission, so right after the SWAT mission, uh you go to the store to see Beard and Beard isn't there. His body is like, he's laying in a pool of blood behind the counter and there's a bald dude and the guy's name is Richter. And, uh, he basically replaces, uh, Beard at this point. And he acts like nothing, nothing weird has happened, but he, (laughs) he's super hostile to you, but like he's replaced Beard. So he doesn't give you anything free. He just kind of like, what do you want? And, um, and it's interesting because every single, 
place that you go to every different location, he's there and Beard's body is behind the counter every time. Uh, <clears throat> and um, after a while, he starts to recognize you, but he's still like a little bit hostile to you. And uh, so that is the end of part three. And then in part four, we're going to kick into part four. So part four, you return to your apartment and Jacket finds girlfriend is dead. And there is a dude sitting on his couch with a rat mask on. And um, so uh, he basically talks to you briefly. Then he shoots you in the head and leaves you for dead. And then you kind of, the screen kind of fades and then it reappears and you're standing over your body and both girlfriend and uh you your bodies are dead you know they're they're dead and now it's uh the rooster masked guy is sitting on your couch where the assassin was sitting and he basically says that he confides in you that you know you both know your story won't end well and kind of tells you that from now on um from this point forward your actions won't serve any purpose and you will never see the whole picture, which is not your, which is your own fault. And then, um, he basically asked jacket to leave saying that there is a warm bed waiting for him. And so you're in your own apartment and you start walking around trying to like, what is this dude talking about? And there's an entirely whole ass new door and like a place that wasn't there before. And you walk through it and you're in a hospital room and you see yourself lying in bed and at this point, like when you when you're walking in your own apartment, your your clothes go from being your normal everyday clothes to being um, wearing hospital clothes, like the the hospital gown. So you walk in, see yourself in uh, in bed in the hospital, and you react the only way that makes any sense. Your head blows up. <laughs> you're like so distraught or whatever uh, from this shock, from this uh, revelation that. Uh, your head blows up, and I before I explain what I what I read about it, like, is the story just like? Are you just like not even here for the story at this point now, Trevor? <laughs> oh wait, dang, he did die real quick. What about you, Greg? <laughs> oh, Greg. Well, oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say like the story was. Um very obtuse up to this point but like it's not obtuse in a bad way it's it's their delivery mechanism of the story so while you might not be getting all the story beats you get the impression that something's going on and it's okay it's just kind of this thing that pushes the gameplay along yeah and that like i don't have a complaint on how they deliver the story but i just don't think like i think they were like banking on like somebody like me liking the game so much that I kind of just delved in deeper because like a lot of times, like I've read some quote unquote theories about this game. And it's like, how did you even come up with that? And like, it sounds legit, but I mean like, I have nothing to like say like, Oh, well that is actually factual. You know, having played, I've played this game, like I've been in this game a bunch of times now. And it's just like, at no point does this like spell it out at any point. Oh, Trevor's back. What you, what you got, Trevor? Like, you're, you're the one that this story is new to, so how do you feel about <laughs> what's going on so far? Like, okay, so on that part where he's walking into his apartment, I knew something was about to go down, 
because this was like the first level where you're going into your apartment. Normally you wake yep. up and you're already um, in your apartment. Um, but I knew something was about to go down. The part where you basically get up and you stand over your body. I knew that this game was about to get deep. But it doesn't it doesn't tell you exactly how deep it's going. It just kind of I don't know, it this this is the type of story that kind of inspires fan fiction and theories. Yep. And and creates cult followings. Um because even like before, because they make some of the dialogue so vague, you could interpret it you know, take it at face value, or you can try to, you know, infer some kind of deeper meaning from it. But yeah. like when you when you go to that hospital bed, like so many things were running through my mind. Like, okay, is is this me in this bed? Like, I know they told me a specific date, something big was going to happen, um, and this is that day. And you know, at first I was thinking, okay, maybe this entire time I've been asleep and none of this really happened. Like, that was one of my initial thoughts. I don't know why, but the way you said it made me think of Space Jam, when Charles Barkley's like, it wasn't a dream, it really happened, when Basketball Jones <laughs> is going on in the background, <laughs> when he's talking to the psychiatrist. <laughs> but it's funny that you should say that, because from what I've read, the reason why his head blows up from the sh- like seeing his body is like, basically, at this point... And this is not some. This is something that I had to read. Like they, I don't think it's explained in the story, but everything like when you see him in the hospital bed, you realize he's in a coma. So you realize that he, you are playing him in a coma, and he's re- recalling all these memories that he has. So the parts that you're playing when you're going to these buildings to kill all these people is um, uh, memories of things that you have done. So I believe when you see these, every part you go to see those three masked people, I believe those are fantasies in your head. Because in the very beginning of the game, um, the rooster, he sees you and he's like, um, I want you to remember uh, who I am. So like you don't remember who you are. So in theory, you're waking or like this is your coma induced dream that you're having and he says i want you to think back to may 3rd that's where it all began so he's playing out while he's in a coma he's playing out all the memories that led up to the part of him getting into the coma if that makes any sense are you guys tracking me yeah i could see that okay cool so yeah so that's why that's why he um I guess the game plays out that way. And I guess that explains why he has all these trippy visions of uh, those dead people because he's reality, his memory is mix, mixing in with like the harsh realities of what he's seen, uh, I guess. I, that's the only way I can explain that part. Uh, Dante, you have something you wanted to say? Can we take a minute to talk about how bad this level is? This level... More so than any other one. Wait, wait, wait. You're talking about the hospital? Because we haven't gotten there yet. We haven't gotten there yet. Okay, we haven't gotten to the hospital. Yeah, the hospital. We we haven't gotten there yet. We are pre-hospital. Yeah, we are about to be hospital, and then we can talk about it. Sorry. So I'll I'll hold my tongue. 
Okay, <laughs> appreciate it. So, um, so yeah, the so now you're playing, quote unquote, you're playing as the current modern uh, version of Jacket while he's in the hospital or in a coma. So while you're still in a coma, there's a meeting between the two uh, people, a doctor and a cop. Um, that's happening in your, your, your room. So the doctor mentions that you've been in a coma for weeks, um, and recently had head surgery. Um, the cop basically wants to take you in for questioning about the, uh, the cases, because they are basically saying you were the person that, uh, killed, like all these hits that have been under, uh, been going on. You're the person behind that. So they want to take you in for questioning. Um, mentioned, uh, the the doctors that they they couldn't the doctors could not save girlfriend and ask her questions and the assassin is in jail the person that shot jacket is in jail but he isn't saying a word so at this point it kind of tells you like the things that you know is like okay maybe that explains why his memories got a little bit fuzzy or whatever it's because he had he's had head surgery while he was in this coma and then lo and behold the day you wake up, that after that uh, conversation between those two, you wake up on July 1st, which fulfills the prophecy of you waking up in a bigger house. So the, the something will soon be taken from you. I assume that is girlfriend being taken away from you. But the uh, waking up in a bigger house, that's you waking up in the hospital. It's bigger than your apartment. Um, so... Um, <clears throat> uh, you wake up and you're still recovering from surgery and there is a heavy police presence that is guarding the hospital because you are the prime suspect in all those violent rampages. So they basically don't want anyone going in to jack you up and they don't want you to sneak out uh, before speaking with them. Um, so at this point, this level plays out and you basically are doing all... It's like a stealth sequence. It's... Um, you are just wearing a hospital gown. Um, you are trying to avoid being spotted by cops that are reading newspapers outside of, uh, in, in various hallways. Also, doctors patrolling different rooms and hallways. So you have to, like, the, the sequence requires you to go into hospital rooms, um, you know, wait till they do their path around the room or whatever and hop out and go further along and whatever you have to find the key to unlock a door so you can get to this place and you're doing all this while also having just recovered from a head surgery and so the way that like it your your movement in this game is way 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 less fluid at this point uh it's a little bit more groggy you're almost like playing a drunk character in a video game where it's kind of like you're holding forward, but your character's kind of stumbling that direction. And then the other thing that is super uh, preventing you from you know, this moving fluidly is is that the more you move, the uh, the screen gets more and more staticky. And when it gets to a certain threshold, your character kind of grabs his head and kind of kneels down. Like I guess he's having like some some pain or some issue from the surgery. So it's a very, in my opinion, it's a very not fun sequence. I think this is like my one minus tick on this game is this sequence is not fun to play. And it, I, I will kick it to Dante because I know he has some things to say about it. 
man, this sequence can just exit the game. This does not need to be in here. One, they do the thing from Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island. There's a very specific level called Touch Fuzzy, Get Dizzy that anybody that played that game remembers. Where if you touch a thing, your whole vision starts getting really distorted and it's to emulate being on drugs. They do that here, but they make it so much more frustrating by having these guards who have this... Essentially, this is the vision cone thing Trevor was complaining about like way, way when the podcast began. And it's just like, man, I know they didn't really see me, but I'm going to have to start from the back, the beginning of the sequence. You have to go through all of the little like dialogue cues a second that you restart the mission so it doesn't like auto skip or whatever. Um, the thing that really, 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 really ticks me off about this level though is if you head a little bit up from the starting position, you see, I don't know if it's a pamphlet or what, but there's there's a piece of paper in a room right above you that's blocked by a wall, and it has the little red triangle that you see for anything like required to pick up, essentially. Like, whenever you're in the little like transition phases between levels, it's like, okay, there's a voicemail thing, there's a red triangle thing right above the voicemail box. Go to it. Okay, now you can progress. So it makes you assume that you have to touch this thing before you can progress at all in this game. So I spend a good 20 minutes trying to get to this this room that, to this day, I'm not even sure you can get in because there's a guy right outside it, and if you do anything, he's going to see you. And it turns out that's not even the primary place you're supposed to go. So, sensibly, I wasted 20 minutes on a false objective. Greg, tell me, how did you like the hospital? How did you feel about the hospital segment? Um, I'm probably going to have the same feeling that everybody else had about it, where it's just, it's a frustrating sequence because you don't feel like, at least for me, I felt like, no matter what I did, it, there was no way I could avoid being spotted. And I trial and aired it at least about a good solid 20, 25 minutes. And then I found a solution. But then when I did find a solution, it just felt like it was happenstance. It didn't I, like, or I got lucky. Like it, it didn't feel like it was something where it was just like a consistent way of doing it. It just seemed like I just lucked out and didn't get spotted that one time. Um, I was on the verge of about to go look at a uh, YouTube <laughs> just to figure out like, what am I doing wrong? But eventually, like I said, I, I got past it and then I was like, okay, well, I don't have to deal with this again. Trevor, how did you feel about the hospital sequence? Cause this is, as far as I know, this is the only other like stealth sequence in the game. And <laughs> how does this stack up with the ones with the uh, SWAT team? Yeah. So I had some of the same issues that Dante had. The only thing I'll add is that with those other levels, they weren't as linear. Like, every level in this game is pretty much open-ended. You can kind of tackle it whichever way you want to. But with this hospital level, it's more linear. You have to follow a specific path. Because I ended up going the wrong way. And I went to that room that Dante was talking about. Um, where there's like a, a TV in the room. I actually went towards the elevator like where you're supposed to go at the end after you get the key 
I went that way first, then walked back through and tried to go through the TV room, but the door was locked from the inside. And there's no way to actually sneak your way back through because of the direction that the enemy patrols, or that the the doctors patrol, I guess. There's no way to go back through there, so you have to start completely over. And that, that was my biggest issue with this, is that it's just... This being a linear portion of this game, it just doesn't work. It's pretty whack. <laughs> this, this, this segment is kind of, it's, like I said, I think this is the, the dark spot on the, on this game. I think otherwise, like, the music is alright, I guess. <laughs> but other than that, like, uh, it's, it's not fun to play. Um, it's super frustrating. The fuzzy stuff like Dante was talking about is super annoying because it's like, I think it's based on how quickly you move in a set number, set amount of time before like you automatically have this reaction and you have to react a certain way. And it's just like, it's not really fun. You don't really have control of your character. And it's just like, oh, the way we made it difficult was like, you have this super fluid character that you can control. Like, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And we're going to like, make it so you can't control your character that well. Won't that be fun? And it's like, no, it's not. And, you know, and on top of that, we're going to make it that you have to, you know, avoid, you have the super strict timing window about getting around these guards. And also on top of that, your character is going to randomly stop moving for a little bit because he's dealing with some medical issues. So wouldn't that be fun? And it's just like, there's so many things that it's like, well, this isn't frustrating enough. Let's, let's add this other element. Let's add this other element. So yeah, this part sucks. Um, but uh, eventually uh, you go through the two floors of the hospital. If you escape, you escape unseen and head to your apartment uh, and you find both your car and your apartment has been vandalized. Uh, you change it back into your murder wear, <laughs> your clothes, and you head to the police station. And uh, here, you you basically, you, you kill every single cop um, in the police station. And um, you end up confronting the locked up assassin, who you end up finding out is Richter, the guy that basically killed um, Beard. He, uh, he was the guy wearing the rat mask, the assassin, in your apartment. Um, he doesn't give any answers when you question him, but um, after beating him up for a bit, he reveals that just like you, he too has been receiving strange phone calls from people to, uh, instru- with instructions to kill people. And uh, he basically advises you to look through the police files to gain info, and at that point you get the option to spare him or kill him. And I think... I didn't even know until I was reading up on the story that you could spare him. I'm pretty sure, like, correct me if I'm wrong, everybody here killed him, right? Yeah, yep. killed him. Unanimous! We all killed him! <laughs> um, so yeah, you um, you end up taking the police files back to your apartment, and you basically learn <clears throat> the um, there are a large number of people wearing masks that are killing people that are executing orders that they receive from the uh, phone home station. And the calls are being traced to a club owned by the Russian mafia. So you basically rampage, um, rampage the club and you learn the location of the owner's mansion. So then you uh, end up going to the mansion and you confront the boss and you have this, 
like three stage boss fight. And so the first stage is you fight his pet cats, and I guess they're like panther like creatures. He has two of them. He's like Giovanni, and they're Persians. You have to fight two of them. And um, that's a deep cut, by the way. I hope one of you guys appreciates that. Um, you fight them, and the way you fight them, you go in there unarmed, and there's a trophy on the, like the wall, and you have to run to that to pick it up, and that's what you kill them with. And then after that, then you have to fight his sword-wielding bodyguard. And this is a chick wearing like a... Like a... <laughs> pink jacket with like a bra underneath and she has an eye patch and almost like some Kill Bill stuff and uh then after you kill her uh then you have to fight the boss and he uh before we explain how the fight is like how how do you feel well yeah how how do you feel about this boss fight I guess because I guess we can kind of explain it or does that make it sound lame I'm, I'm specifically asking you, Dante, because I know you had a lot of feelings about this boss fight. Should we like this is chapter you? fifteen, correct? Yeah, man. So you can explain the you explain the boss fight. How about that? Okay, so the boss fight essentially breaks down into three parts. The first part, he sends two panthers after you. Are they panthers? I assume so because there's a mask uh, that the panther mask has the same color, um, uh, same color uh, fur as these these dudes. So I'm assuming the panthers. Yeah, I assume they're panthers too because they're pink, and maybe that was like a reference to the pink panther. Oh, they were purple in my game. Oh, well, pink purple. They were pink yeah. as purple. <laughs> but essentially, they're similar to the dogs, where you have to use a melee weapon to take them down. Um, and there's a, I guess it's a trophy that you pick up from the side of the room and both of them take two hits. So that's not too big of a deal. The second part, he sends his, I guess, how would would you, yeah, samurai wielding lady. Damn, man. Every time I kick it to Dante, it's like he wasn't even listening to me. (laughs) Wait, what? I said I said that part. No, <laughs> she's but wearing I'm just like saying... a pink, she's wearing like a jacket. She has like a, like a swimsuit or something underneath it. She has a samurai sword and an eye patch. Yeah, I was just you know trying to go back into what she was, and um, yeah, this part of the fight really upsets me because if you're not within a certain range, to my understanding, you get insta killed. Yeah, like, so basically as soon as, like, at least with the Panthers, when you fight them, you have to run up on them at first. Like, you hit one, like, once you hit, like, they kind of stay stationary, you get the trophy, run up to them, hit them, because they're kind of, like, walking at you. Then once you hit one, it lunges at you, and you got to be, like, kind of react to and kill them with the second hit, and that's pretty straightforward. With the, the, the bodyguard, if you're too far away from her, because immediately after you kill the panther, she just, like, runs at you. And if she's if you're too far from her, she throws, like, a ninja star, and it's, like, an insta-kill on you. So uh, you want to be close enough to her where the, she starts running at you and tries to use your sword. But it, it's kind of frustrating because there's a specific way. The, the way you take her down is to throw the trophy at her. So, like, I know I spent, like, 
15 or 10 to 15 minutes. It seemed like it, it, it probably was like five or six minutes, but, um, trying to figure out like, how do I hit this chick? Cause I'm like trying to dodge her and like run around the room to avoid her. And I just, and I was like, am I mistiming my swing with the trophy? And then when I realized, like, Oh, I should have just thrown something at her. Then it was like, Oh, that's, that's how you defeat her. Uh, what, what's up Trevor? Yeah, that was basically what I was going to, um, say, but, I didn't think it had anything to do with the range because sometimes I would be close to her. I looked up a guide. It, oh, it range. is? Huh. Uh, it says if you were too far away, she will insta-kill you with a knife, which she did to me a lot. Which is strange that that would make it that way because even if she does run at you, her sword has a huge range. Like, she doesn't have to get yeah. that close to you to kill you. Yeah. Yeah, it puts you in a really weird position where it's like, well, if I'm too far away, I can't do anything. If I get close, her sword is way longer than my little trophy thing that I'm trying to swing. And it's also very accurate. So I guess eventually through process of elimination, you could get to throwing. But it was frustrating just because I was like, maybe if I back up enough, I can dodge this first thing figure out what I need to do, and then kind of reassess the battle from there, but you, you're not given that option. Pretty much from the end of the Panther fight, you have maybe three seconds to throw the thing at her, or you probably did the part wrong. Yeah, and I think this kind of goes back to talking about the part where you feel like it doesn't do a good enough job of explaining uh, a fight or a sequence to you, but like the the benefit or whatever to this section is is that this is a very short boss fight in the grand scheme of things there are three stages there are three waves but um i mean the panthers once you figure them out it's super easy and then same thing with this girl um so you throw you throw the um trophy at her while she's lunging at you she immediately goes down you mount her and you kind of slam her head into the um to the floor then she like rolls over and starts crawling and then you just basically mount her again and you finish her and then she drops three throwing knives and then that's the third stage the 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 boss guy he's sitting in a chair uh behind a desk and he's still talking at you talking to you and then he immediately picks up two like uzis and starts shooting guns at you and then you have to uh basically get behind cover and when he's reloading, you got to get a throwing knife and throw it at him. That hits one of his arms, so then he's no longer dual wielding Uzis. He's shooting one at you. You you know uh, avoid his barrage again. You get another throwing knife, throw it at him, and then that's the end of the boss fight. But like, did did you have any issues with anybody else? Or did you have an issue with the boss itself or just the bodyguard Dante? I mean, the fight was fine. <laughs> The bodyguard part in the middle just made everything ten times more frustrating than it needed to be. And I, I agree. You get, past, like, you get past the Panthers, and I was probably like a 33% shot at that most of the time. Then you get to the bodyguard, immediately die. And once I got to the final part, it wasn't that bad. But still, it was like super frustrating to get past that bodyguard the initial set of times. Yeah, I definitely agree. But I, I like... It wasn't that it was difficult or anything, and I definitely see what you mean when you're like, oh, I wish I would know, but, like, finding it out 
is like what this game is about too, like finding your own way of doing things. And granted, this is a boss fight, and there's like a set path, or like there's these steps you need to do in order to achieve this to start the next part. But I kind of like I'm okay with this boss fight being how it was because it's so short in the grand scheme of things. Like you can literally get to this boss in like thirty seconds. You know, I mean, if if you do it right, but if you don't, you could be stuck. Yeah, on yeah, definitely. Minutes. But but no, no, because I I think I mean I think we're not taking into consideration how quick you can get in and get out. Like, granted, you have to click through the dialogue every time you die. But, like, I think you could, like, legitimately try this boss, like, almost ten, like, you know, six or seven times. Well, maybe, I'll say three or four times in a minute. So, like, yeah, it may seem like, because, I mean, I was, I even said myself, like, I, I, it felt like I was stuck for 15 minutes. It was or long minutes. enough for me to watch a YouTube video on that okay. second part. Well, I, I know for me, it was like, it felt like I was stuck for 15 or 20 minutes. But in all actuality, it was probably, like, seven or eight. Uh I haven't heard from you in a little bit. Uh, do you have any... How, how do you feel about the boss fight, Greg? So, <clears throat> I remember... Like, I guess... I remember having a hard time with it the first time I played it. And I didn't remember the solution at all when I came back to it. And uh, I ended up... So, the first part with the Panthers or whatever, I ended up figuring that out pretty quickly. But then it took me like maybe another five minutes to figure out how to get rid of the bodyguard. And then once I got past that, then it was me trying to figure out how to not get shot every time. And then that was, that's the part I hit my head up against at least for a good 15 minutes. And it, it was frustrating because the other parts just became like, you know, I'm just autopiloting through it now. And it's like, it die each time to have to do this over again each time. And it's just kind of like, it just added to the frustration. Eventually I figured out that just by running in the wrong direction, because I kept trying to run to the left of the, the uh, I guess, the room, as soon as I killed the bodyguard, I found out that you could just hide behind the fountain and then not get shot. Or, you know, and then basically you hide behind that, pick up the stuff to throw at him, and then kill him that way. So, I mean, I just found that out just by just getting lucky. But, yeah, I was super frustrating trying to get through that. Okay. And, and what about you, Trevor? I actually liked the like the final boss better. I thought it was it was fun. Um, the only issue I, I had with it was on that left side. There's like that big jacuzzi or whatever it is, sure. and um, if you go like if you kill the bodyguard too far back, and you don't let her crawl up far enough, and you try to I guess the only way you would be able to run is to the right. And a couple of times I tried to run to the left and I would get hung up on the edge of that, um, that hot tub. I got you. Yeah. I got you. So the, the level was just kind of misshapen. All right. Well, um, like I said, uh, I mean, as far as the boss goes, two Uzis, knife to the one hand, one Uzi, knife to the other hand. So at this point, he's kind of like, he knows he, or, um, he, he kind of says like, I'm not going to give you the pleasure of killing me. And he just offs himself and he shoots himself in the fort and the, in the temple. And then, uh, you get the stage clear and then immediately the phone rings and a guy on the other line, he's like, what's going on down there? Um, uh, so then you're like, Oh, there's somebody else here. Um, so you grab the boss's gun and head upstairs and you confront a wheelchair bound 
elder of the boss, which he kind of, I think it's kind of meant to be his father or whatever. And he kind of says, like, I've made a lot of terrible decisions or mistakes in my life or blah, blah, blah. So it kind of makes it seem like he was the former boss prior to um, his son. So he kind of accepts his fate and he kind of says, just get it over with. And so you shoot him in the head. And then uh, from there, Jacket, he, he walks up to the balcony. He takes off his mask and throws it aside. He lights a cigarette. He tosses a... Uh, photo off the balcony edge and the, the camera kind of starts following that and then it just peers into the sunset and that is the end of the jacket section of Hotline Miami and um, overall I mean I if this game ended right here would you be satisfied with the story Trevor <laughs> I or what story that you parsed out I guess um honestly Yes. Uh, simple because, <laughs> I mean, I didn't I didn't expect them to go into extreme detail about everything that you were doing, like just <laughs> just the way that this game kind of spells things out for you. Like I knew that I wasn't gonna get a lot of explanation. A lot of there were gonna be a lot of loose ends at the end of this game. Gotcha. And, I mean, ultimately, like, at the very least, you got your revenge story, I guess you could say, where it's like, he at least took out the people that were behind all this in his head. Um, Dante, what about you? How, how did you feel about, like, this ending? And what, were you would you have been okay if this was the game? Bro, nobody was into this for this I agree. So, like, I'm saying, like, this is this like a good conclusion? Yeah, it would feel- it would have been fine if they if they called it here. I would have believed that this is Hotline Miami, the game, and I okay. would have not had any qualms. Gotcha. Uh, what about you, Greg? Yeah, I'm in the same boat for the most part. Um, you know, if it if this would have been the conclusion, that's cool. I mean, it was a fun ride up to this point. It wasn't as if I was looking for a greater meeting or like a deeper understanding of the characters or what was going on. So, um, yeah, it would have been cool with it. Well, unfortunately for all you nerds, there was more game (laughs) and I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, there, uh, so like you finish this off and then you get part five and you're like, Whoa, wait, what? There's more. And, um, so then you see the story go back or the, the, the way they show up dates and it rewinds back and it rewinds back from being July, whatever to May 13th. And then you, it opens up and you are in a completely different apartment and, or I'm sorry, you're not even in an apartment. You see biker, you see him basically shaking a, uh, a pig mask wearing guy and he shakes him so hard the mask goes off and he's basically asking him he's like i want to get out tell me who i need to see for i need more info and this guy's like okay okay and he basically gives him the address of this chinese restaurant so now you're like what's going on like i'm playing as biker now and uh so um you end up Go into this Chinese restaurant, and now you're playing a like. In addition to playing a new character, like since you're playing biker, 
um, you don't get to choose a mask. Your your default is wearing his helmet. And he, unlike Jacket, he can't use any other weapons. He starts off and his only weapon is a butcher knife. Uh, you have the ability to throw. Um, he has up to three knives that he can throw. But other than that, like when you kill somebody, you can't pick up their weapons. So you're you're playing through this Chinese restaurant as biker. And so you go through the restaurant and you kill any, everybody and you get to the person that you were supposed to see. And um, uh, you threaten this man at the restaurant. And while he doesn't tell you who helped him, he does say who helped he that he helped set up the phone home station for the calls to be tracked. And he also says he went into hiding immediately afterwards because they seemed to have some sort of political agenda. And that kind of scared him to death. He was he was scared of what they would do to him. So uh, that concludes that chapter. And then three days later, so this would be, I guess, the 16th, uh, you wake up and you're you're in Biker's apartment. It's a way swankier pad than uh, what Jacket had. And you get a phone call about a missed delivery uh, the night before at a Russian arcade, which is pretty interesting because he is actively trying to get out of this murder business. So, um, him having a missed delivery basically is code for saying, we called you and told you to go to this location on this day and you failed to do it. So they threatened him to complete the delivery today because the clients will not tolerate further delays. So he basically, he nuts up and, um, he basically, you, you go out to this arcade and you, you kill everybody there. Like you're told. Then a week later, you receive a call to head to a specific location. You get on your bike, but instead of going to that location, you head to the phone hom station, and then you kill all, like, and there's no resistance. They're all uh, employees, but you slaughter everybody in that place. You eventually get to the manager, and you slaughter him, and uh, you get on his computer, and you discover the address of the club where people are placing the calls. Then, as soon as you get that information, Jacket walks in, and you have a fight with Jacket, and he tries to kill you with a golf club, which, coincidentally, is what you kill him with in Biker's story, or, I'm sorry, in uh, Jacket's story, but you easily defeat Jacket, and you curb stomp his head in. Uh, how did you guys feel about this section, like, so far, and, like, how the story was going? Because you're seeing this story played out from two different players' perspectives, and I'll kick it to you, Dante. Um, so there's kind of a lot to unpack. The character himself, Biker, plays pretty differently than um, Jacket, I guess. Yeah, Jacket. Um, you got the knives. You got the butcher knife. Um, I guess you said you had some issues with these levels, like, or at least as far as difficulty goes. For so specific for me, my particular play style was kind of just picking up weapons as I go and and I utilized the throw mechanic a lot in order to kill enemies and so with him I wasn't able to just pick up weapons and throw them because you had a limited amount of items that you could throw and I felt specifically on the arcade level that that level to me is the hardest level that that's the my hardest level i guess for for my play style in this game just because 
there's like four or five enemies in that level that I want to kill by throwing stuff, but I have to conserve my throws because you only get three. So it makes me have to play the game in a way that I'm uncomfortable playing it. And so it takes me a lot longer, like, because I'm trying to go play the game the way I want to play it and go the route that I want to do it, but I can't 100% do it. So I I think that's probably me being a little bit more hard-headed is, like, I probably should change the route that I'm doing the level in, but I maybe I'm just too stubborn to do that. That's the last serious level, though, right? Um, Yes. Okay, because, yeah, one of the big things is the level with the boss fight that Marcus was describing not too long ago. Nobody really fights back. That's the first time everybody just kind of cowers at you in the entire game. Yeah, yeah, and they just actively are trying to dodge your butcher, uh, butcher knife while you're swinging at them. Uh, it's how, it's how a little you... disconcerting because you're like, you're swinging and you're like, what are these guys doing? And it's like, oh, <laughs> they're actually trying to just survive yeah yeah um how how did you feel about this segment trevor because uh you're i guess when you run in the jacket i guess that's like the big reveal is that oh i mean you know you're playing a character that quote-unquote died but then when you get to see it from his perspective did that kind of like make just kind of reveal anything more about the story um if anything it just confused me a lot more because I'm I'm thinking of how these two worlds all of a sudden collided. Because once you got to this part, I was thinking this was going to be the end of Biker's story. Like he was like as soon as you saw everything um, unfolding. Like once you go to the phone home place and you kill all the people around you, and it's like oh you're basically setting up this place the same way it was when you came in as Jacket, and this is going to be the end right here. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, but, and what about the ball, the fight itself? Like, I mean, it wasn't even really a boss fight. It it, it made it, bikers seem so much more powerful than Jacket did. Yeah, it. yeah, it was definitely easy. Uh, and um, Greg, how 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 did you feel about this secondary character? Um, I do like his melee weapon and the knives. I think this was like probably the the section as far as like the the weapon or I guess the weapon he has uh, I kind of liked it. I wish he had that earlier on in the game um but kind of going back to what you were touching on I guess as far as you were having a hard time adjusting to the play style that you had to uh that you had to use in this area I I kind of found this section or I guess the the last part of the game to be like pretty easy um even the first two chapters where you actually are having like real encounters even those felt like relatively easy in comparison to the rest of the stuff in the game. Um, but for the story uh, at this point, again, I kind of, kind of hate, it. I don't have a whole lot to, to add to it, but I'm just still trying to process everything. Like, I'm just like, well, what is going on? Why am I playing this dude? Why did it go back in time? Like, what is, what is going on right now? Yeah. And I didn't even pick up on the fact that he killed, um, you know, the, the previous person you're playing as Jack. Yeah. The previous protagonist. Uh, that, yep. Yeah, so um, so you kill uh, Jacket, and then the next day, 
uh, you receive a call announcing your execution before the end of the week. And it's super slick how they do it, too. They say your uh, tombstone delivery should happen before the end of the week. And it's super slick how they did it. Um, and uh, so, like, you, you're like, all right, cool. So then you, you head to the, the club where you got the, you know, the information through the manager's computer. And uh, you go through the back room. And uh, it's empty except for one janitor who he basically flees immediately upon seeing you. And uh, you track him to a back room which has computers and they have these wires leading down to uh, like a manhole in this building. So uh, you you see that he goes down the manhole so you follow after him. And uh, so now you're in the sewers. And once you're in the sewers you basically find the the heart of the phone operation. Like, these guys that have been leaving these messages through phone uh, phone hom to send out these executions. Um, So you see these two janitors, and it's they're running the thing. And in addition to the calls, they've also been... They have boxes and masks and flyers that they have laid out that they basically are sending to the people. So, like, in the beginning of the story... You see Jacket with a box at his door with a mask and a note basically telling him what to do. So, if you... And this is this is where, like, for me, this is where the story gets blown wide open. Because before you go down into the sewer, there is a... Um, an indicator for the computer that with the wires leading downstairs that you can uh, interact with. And... <clears throat> As Jacket, you can interact with this computer. And, or, excuse me, as Biker, you can interact with this computer. And it asks you for a code. And you don't... I mean, for me, every time I ever played this game, I was like, I don't know what that is. So then when I go downstairs and go talk to the guys, they basically mock me for not knowing... For being ignorant. And explain, basically, that the phone calls and the death threats that they were... The, the, the phone calls that they were giving people to execute Russian mobs and the death threats were simply a game that they made up together out of boredom. And they basically, they were just like quirky, like we're going to shake the world type of, or, you know, like we're just, we're just bored and we want people to die. And if, after you get that explanation, you have the option to kill them. The game is over. What blew my mind. And that like, I literally, so this is, uh, my first playthrough for this podcast was my third playthrough of this game just in general. So I had played this game three times without knowing what I'm about to say. But there is a puzzle throughout this entire game. And like when I, after I beat it this time, I was like, um, oh, I'm going to read the, the story of this game so that way I can write the outline for this. And then when I saw what was going on, I was like, wait, what? What? What is this? What is this? And I felt like a crazy person. Like, like you know, when you see, like, those movies where people have, like, uh, a thumbtack board and they got the string going from one end to one. And I, that was me, basically. I was like, oh, this means this and this means that. And then, like, it just blew my mind. Um, but when you hit escape on your keyboard, you can opt to resume there's restart and there's quit out and you can, so you can, you know, resume the game. You can restart at the beginning level or you can quit out to the main menu. There's also a fourth option that's puzzle. And every time I've ever played this game, I've had that blanked out. Well, 
apparently every every single stage as jacket in this game minus the tutorial has a letter that you can find in the level and there is a mask there's an owl mask that says it, the 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 text for it is says i for secrets and i I've, I've used that mask but i didn't know what that means well if you use that mask there is a specific like pixel like a an enlarged uh purple pixel on the floor in a very specific spot in every single chapter and it's a letter and so by the time if you if you go through the game and you pick that up in every single level it you have uh 14 letters I guess at that point and it spells out a code and uh, so you click the, you click the letter um, and you drag it to a spot and if it's highlighted then that means you drag the letter to the right spot ultimately the puzzle spells out born in the USA um, and uh, so you finish up the game as jacket without having solved this puzzle and this is the one part too that i don't necessarily know what the through line is yet but when you get to this end part you're playing as biker so at no point have they interacted with each other besides that phone hum interaction that boss fight but when you get on the computer you have access to this puzzle like if you're the player you you know the password is born in the usa so you put that in into the computer and you have an entirely different interaction with these janitors when you go downstairs. So if you reveal the puzzle, you'll learn their plans. And this is what it says. Uh, they are nationalists infiltrated among the mafia themselves. And they basically threaten their own members, their own na- uh, nationalist members, um, into doing the executions for them. Uh when you ask them if they did this by themselves, the janitors will tell you that they volunteered for this social experiment based on people's reactions to threats and set similar operations throughout the country for higher people. Um, so the biker questions their morality, to which they reply the United States is at war and that their organization, codenamed 50 Blessings, is a foundation for true patriots. And that their members must fill a form in which they state their will, their willingness to die for their nation, aka the United States. They aim to not only topple the Russian-American coalition that's in the making, which is also something that they hint at. That's why I was asking you about the newspaper clippings, Trevor, is because not only do you see uh, reportings on the massacres that are happening, but they also have little blurbs about Russia and United States partnering up in certain aspects. So these, this organization, the 50 blessings and these nationalists are against that from They're against that from happening. Um, so they not only aim to topple the Russian American coalition in the making, but to also bring the country back to its feet in five years. So five years from now, it being now being 1989, five years is 1994, which, if I'm not mistaken, is when Hotline Miami 2 uh, is, takes place. Um, but uh, in the end, uh, they, the, 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 regardless of if you know the 
uh, uh, the password or not. Um, you have to kill them, or you can, or you can spare them too. But I think everybody kills them, and then he leaves Miami, and so then that is the ending of the secret ending of Hotline Miami. And when I I did a second playthrough, getting all the puzzle pieces so I could find this code, so I could get finally get the secret ending to this game. And I'm not gonna lie, it's a funky, like convoluted way to deliver this story but it like I I never played Hotline Miami 2 I, I did I was like why well, it'd be more of the same I have so much desire to play Hotline Miami 2 now after figuring out what this game is about and I want to see the through line that they built because like I would I have to think at some point like they didn't intend on making a sequel to Hotline Miami. Like they were probably content with the story that they told, but if it got popular enough or there was enough interest in it, then they could make a Hotline Miami too. So like I'm super interested now after getting the secret ending to see what's what this world is about. It it just made the world so much more interesting to me. Um I'm going to kick it first to you Dante. Um, how, how do you feel about this? <laughs> about like Hotline Miami 2? I mean, just like, they, I don't think they do a good job of explaining this. There's a secret ending, but I really, really, really like the fact that you can go through this game, not have, um, any idea of this puzzle aspect and still get a satisfactory story for the most part. Like, that means you just didn't really delve that deep into the story aspect, which is kind of hard to do. They don't make it really easy. But the fact that this game has a secret ending the way it does, how do you feel about that? I mean, I'm I'm fine with it. A lot of games have secret endings that I never... Honestly, I didn't even know there was a secret ending. It doesn't surprise me, per se, but... At the same time, I'm not going to go out my way to... Okay, well, I got through the wet blanket early, so thanks, Dante. I thought it was awesome. (laughs) We good, we good. (laughs) Trevor, how about you? Does that make you want to play Hotline Miami 2 anymore, or is it just kind of like, damn, like I don't really care about that story, it's not interesting? Yeah, um, I wouldn't play Hotline Miami 2 for the story. Um, like there's so many other cooler aspects of this game that the story is, it it seems like it's just, a like maybe they, yeah, like there's zero surprise that they made a, like, I'm not surprised they made a hotline Miami two. It's just, yeah. If they made a hotline Miami two, I didn't expect them to like focus on story or anything like that. But I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, is that I don't think a hotline Miami two would have happened if this game wasn't popular. I think you could say that about a lot of games. Well, I'm, I'm saying they didn't go in with the idea that they were going to... It seems that way, anyways. They didn't go in with the idea, like, we're going to make this a sequel or a trilogy, and we're going to leave the story open-ended enough where you want to see this story to conclusion or whatever. And so, like, the not the normal ending, you get your revenge story and you're good. You get... <clears throat> excuse me. They kind of tacked on the biker stuff, which was which was cool, and but that was like the the, the big 
quote unquote payoff if this story was intriguing to you. And I don't know, it's it's almost kind of like the, to me, it's almost like the secret stuff in like a braid, where it's like, hey, like you can see this game through this way, but if for those that are really into this game, here's this other thing that you can find to add more replayability or like a greater appreciation for this world or this story or whatever. So in in Braid's case, it was a greater appreciation for the person that made this and the puzzles that he put in for this game. It was a greater appreciation for the story of this game in this setting. Um, I guess Greg, go ahead and go ahead and bring it home. I guess I'm the only one excited about Hotline Miami Two. Bro, I played Hotline Miami Two. Let's not do this. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I don't know if my interest has peaked any more to play. I guess. Kind of. I do want to play Hotline Miami too and finally finish it, but it's not like uh, it's not like the story beats that we kind of found out afterwards like make me want to go back anymore. It's just kind of I like that gameplay, uh, you know, the aesthetic of the game, the soundtrack. So if anything, I'm going back for that, but not necessarily to find out the conclusion to the to the you know the whole storyline. Tight. I am triggered. <laughs> okay. That was in well, reference to um, me, but it's good. Say what? That was in reference to me, but... but oh, I mean, yeah, I know you played Hotline Miami too, but I don't know. It just, like, it. I, I, I didn't really have an interest in playing Hotline Miami too, mostly because I was like, the gameplay is fun, but, like, what can you do to, imp- like, in my head? What can you do to improve on this? Like, why does there need to be a second game? It seemed like a cash grab for me. And it may have well been a cash grab, but having played the story now, I'm like, yo, like, and having understood the story, I'm like, oh, snaps. Like, I'm interested to see, like, where this goes. And so that's what kind of triggered my interest, uh, you know? And for all I know, the gameplay is better because, like, Man, I, I probably said that about Left 4 Dead 2. I was like, how can you prove on Left 4 Dead 1? And they were like, yo, melee weapons and, like, all these other things. So, like, I there might be some cool-ass stuff in Hotline Miami 2. So I'm definitely going to be checking that game out now. Which This dude uh, was like, how do you improve on Mass Effect? The Mako was excellent. Hey, yeah, exactly. Excellent. Um, well, I guess, do we have anything else uh, to cover for Hotline Miami? The one thing I will say, Papa Leo, your reign on top was short like leprechauns because this is the best game we've covered. <laughs> I thought you were going to definitive say, hands down. You're going to say it was the best soundtrack up until now. No, this is my favorite game we've covered. My fa- Papa Leo, you had it for like two weeks. <laughs> I mean, arguably, it is the best soundtrack too. But, uh, but you know. Oh yeah, free best soundtrack. But uh, this is this is my favorite game that we've we've played, and it may be that way for a little bit. Um, you know, so I, I mean, had to get that out there. Definitely when a stand. You put your list together, and it says Hotline Miami, greater than Papa Leo, greater than Bionic Commando. It didn't really have that much to climb. <sighs> What's the games that you like? Because it's better than that too. <laughs> I mean, if we're if we're doing rankings, it's it's probably Vanquish and Metal Gear Rising. Probably Metal Gear Rising first, and then Life right, is Strange right. is like right up there. Yeah, for me, it would be this, then Papa Yo, then probably Life is Strange. 
You almost have forgot we played Bioshock Infinite. Okay. I didn't forget. <laughs> oh, it, it, that second it's hotline Miami greater four. sign of Bioshock. You said what you say, Greg? Hotline Miami greater sign of Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. It's all good. We 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 all have our own taste. That's what makes us a you know good team. But uh, I guess if that's going to conclude our Hotline Miami talk, then, uh, Greg, do we have any questions? Nope. Okay, waste of time. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> um, uh, well, let's go ahead and get with the plug. Oh, wait, actually, yeah, Greg, where, where could people send questions if they ever wanted to send questions? You guys can uh, email us at mischeckpoints at gmail.com uh, if you want to just uh, talk about the game we're playing for the week or if you have any questions or suggestions, get us up there. All right. And uh, where can people find you at, Trevor? You can find me at Lyric Unsung. I'll most likely be uh, streaming on Twitch um, in the near future. Where can people find you, Greg? Uh, you can find me at on Twitter at Boombox Hero. Uh, Facebook is the same, Boombox Hero. And on Twitch at twitch.tv slash xdrdmagnegroX. Um, where can people find you, Dante? Right now they can't. I see you. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the same. I was going to try to do like a hotline bling. Uh, reference. I thought that may- I thought maybe Dante was going to do it because he made it earlier, but I mean, I don't got nothing. So, uh, what's up for next month for the month of March? That's your game, right, Dante? Objection. Yes, it is. Objection. All right, overruled. Okay, so um, we will be playing. Uh, what did we say? Phoenix the first- Wright, Ace Attorney. The yes, original. the first game, the first Phoenix Wright game, and we said the what the first three cases. Yeah, the first three cases is probably the good like talking stop point for us. Quick question: This is also the DS version that has an additional case. Just yeah, that's what I was going to say because uh, we we will be playing. The, it's the trilogy version. I thought that had the extra case. Well, it originally Gyakuten Saiban, the original. Um, Ace Attorney in Japan was released on the GBA. When it got ported to the DS, they added an additional case five. And pretty much every version since then has had the additional case. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So we will be covering the first three cases if you are playing along. So case one, two, and three of the first Phoenix Wright. uh, Was it Phoenix Wright colon Ace Attorney? Correct. Awesome. All right. And, um, I guess with that, we are Miss Checkpoints, and we'll catch you guys next time. Peace.